Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. This week's movies are Freaked and Street Trash. If you ever wondered what happened to Bill after Ted went on to the Matrix, watch this. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food or drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. Giant talking penis. God damn it. Are we doing penis movies two weeks in a row? <laughs> Wait, were there penises in the- Oh, yeah, 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 there was a penis. Street trash, it was a pretty yeah. important scene plot wise yeah. I think yeah <sighs> do, do, do. so quiet so how was everybody's Thanksgiving delicious oh Doug it was just a regular day for Doug uh, yeah it was I couldn't even sometimes I do celebrate American Thanksgiving by using it as an excuse to go to the bar in the middle of the week but <laughs> homesick that day so oh it's when I watch these movies <laughs> sometimes I wonder if uh, Thanksgiving or Christmas is the most American holiday because Christmas is all consumerism and bullshit like that but Thanksgiving is literally a holiday Dedicated to just cramming your fat fucking face full of bullshit. Like, well, to to extrapolate on that though, Thanksgiving is also the day you get off before the day you go shopping, which is pretty consumeristic in and of itself. I was gonna say, everybody needs like, a day off before they start shopping. Rest up. I was gonna say, I feel like Black Friday is probably the most American holiday, just because it's a day that everybody made up just to go shop and. For companies to tell people to spend money. Well, that's pretty much all of the holidays, especially if you use the, if you consider churches to be companies, then Why it not? becomes officially every holiday is just that. But yeah, but even technically, like Black Friday is not a real holiday, but America has pretty much made it into a holiday. We're like, yeah, we're gonna go spend money on a bunch of bullshit. It's gonna be great. One more sec. We've got a fifty-seven inch TV for twenty-five dollars. We've only got two. <laughs> that's when the uh, fist fights break out I, d- I do know your Black Friday has become such a big deal that it's trickled over the border we celebrate it up here now and it's not our Thanksgiving weekend so it makes even less sense here <laughs> it's literally just Canadian retailers going come on don't drive across the border and shop there stay here I typically only do one thing the weekend after Thanksgiving, and it has nothing to do with shopping for, like, presents and stuff. That's typically whenever I buy my Christmas tree. 
It's like the only big thing I do this weekend. Oh, see, fake trees. Don't have to even go out of the house. No, fuck that. I can't I can't do fake trees. Well you can, you just don't. I, I would rather I would rather not have a tree than have a fake tree for some reason. <laughs> it bothers me. I just don't you buy your live Christmas tree now? Yeah. Seems seems early for that. No, not really. No. I mean if you keep it watered and you put all the right stuff in the water for it, it doesn't die. All right. Again, fake tree. I just pulled out of a tub, put it up, and we're done. It's just, I, it's I, it, that's so un-Christmassy. I don't, uh, I don't know. I'll, well, I'll, I'll, I'll one-up your laziness because mine's still in the box that it came in. I put it back in every year, so I don't even have a tub. I don't know if you know this about me, Noah, but I fucking hate Christmas. So, uh, my laziness pretty much makes sense. I don't know. I hate, I hate a lot of the the bullshit about Christmas, but certain parts of Christmas I really like. Like I like Christmas decorations and lights, and I like wrapping presents. Although I don't generally like the idea of presents, <laughs> I just like wrapping them and making them pretty. <laughs> You're an odd one. Yeah. Yeah. That is maybe the most unusual statement about presents that I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, it's weird. And and like I love I love Christmas movies. I hate Christmas music. I don't know. Just mm-hmm. odd. Some uh, just certain things. Certain things about the Christmas and the fact that uh, it's the one holiday that you're supposed to celebrate it by not being a complete fucking prick. <laughs> <laughs> Which there's something wait so you think good it, so good in this world about that <laughs> like that I just need to hold on to that sentiment that for one month everybody cannot be such a piece of shit. Yeah, but it's not like people abide by that. It's just a guideline. Like, please don't be a dick. But people are still dicks. See, but but I there I think it's noticeable. You do notice that people do tend to get a little less bastardish around Christmas, mostly because it was ingrained into their brains as a child that if they <laughs> misbehaved at that time of year, their parents wouldn't spend outrageous sums of money on them. Oh, maybe fuck Christmas. Shut up, Brian. <laughs> stop, be, stop being a Scrooge. Oh, I totally am. God, I fucking hate it. I think it stems from me working retail in high school and just watching people be dicks for like the entire month to kind of go against what you just said. Yeah, yeah, I did kind of that. Well, yeah. I think I blame that on Walmart. Walmart has <laughs> invaded Christmas and made it worse. Certain companies invaded Christmas and made it a little bit better, like Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola invaded Christmas and gave us uh, a Santa happy, Claus. happy fat Santa Claus in the red suit. I like yeah. it. But but stupid Walmart came in and they were like, no, it's all about TVs and hoverboards. I can't wait to see where this show goes when we actually have a Christmas episode to record. We are so far off the fucking rails. I'm still trying to figure out why Noah sent us a link to I'm Too Sexy right before we started recording. I was I was literally sitting there waiting, and I said, 
what is the most random song I could throw in here? Because they're going to be waiting for the chat to pop up, so they're going to click on it without looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> and I settled on right, said Fred, I'm too sexy. Mm. I See, I don't accept that. I feel like there's probably something more sinister going on. No, I'm not. I'm not very sinister. I'm just completely I'm, random. I'm becoming a bit of a conspiracy theorist about your random links. I don't. I don't trust that there's nothing. <laughs> it's like it's like the fucking Da Vinci Code. You're gonna like start dissecting them. If you look, there's, there's a triangle with an eye in, in Fred's like mesh shirt. Oh my! Oh my God! This is all Mason propaganda. <laughs> Uh, so, did anybody buy anything for Black Friday today? No, fuck that. Online or otherwise? Uh, I purchased a large coffee at Tim Hortons earlier today. Well, I was probably going to do that regardless, but. Um, so, Screen Factory had an unannounced 50% off sale. So, I picked up the Firestarter Collector's Edition, the Child's Play Collector's Edition, and the Exorcist 3 Collector's Edition. So I got all three of those for 60 bucks. So <laughs> I will tell you one thing. My, my, my wonderful lady friend told me today that she couldn't get me one of the presents for Christmas that she wanted to get me <laughs> because uh, I have like a list of movies that I really, you know, a bunch of like criterion collection stuff that I really want that I won't buy for myself. And she was trying to get me a copy of the, uh, the Nightbreed cabal cut. Nice. Apparently, was super limited, sold out right away, and now they're all being held hostage by fucking internet scalpers. And if you get online and try to buy them, the only place you can find them is on eBay for like three hundred fucking dollars. Uh, I might have a place you can go. Let me double check see if they got it first. Um, and now we're just doing our online shopping as part of the podcast. Pretty much. All right. Uh, I gave up trying to control this shit a long time ago. <laughs> That's just, the best. It, it just makes me it, it fucking it infuriates me when shit like that happens. Like I, I understand collectors' items as much as anyone. I'm a collector person, but whenever it's new shit and they do that, where it's a limited run and people just buy them all up so that they can resell them at this giant bloated price for no fucking reason, that's infuriating. It's frustrating to me when it's like a movie. Yeah, if it was you know an action figure or something, I'd be less bothered by it. But the, when it's like a movie, it's like I don't know. Put out a normal version of it, and then put out the collector's version of it, and they can have the collector's version, and they can drive up the price if they want. But I should be able to go buy like just a normal version of the movie on Blu-ray at a reasonable price, or else it shouldn't exist. Um, is it the same as the director's cut? No, it's not. It's different. Pretty different. Yeah. Yeah. You're pretty much SOL then. Yeah. Uh, if you're ever looking diabolic DVD. Uh, oh yeah. They have a lot of stuff. They work directly with uh, most of the boutique labels. Yeah. Uh, they don't have it, all. They have is the director's cut. At least I got to see the Cabal cut because it was on Netflix for a little while. So. Yeah. Um, I also picked up a couple movies from Vinegar Syndrome. Oh, nice. Uh, 
I got two Linnea Quigley movies, Murder Weapon and Deadly Embraced. And then a movie that I think we're going to have to do on the show called Death Row Game Show. <laughs> Does that, sound like something we would do on this show. Yeah, I'm like, sold. I feel like it's something we have to team up with uh, The Running Man, maybe. All right. Hold on. Let me pull up the uh, Death Row Game Show. Um, let's see. Didn't you guys do The Running Man on the last horror cast? It doesn't matter. This is pretty oh. much what I mean. Oh. oh, I see. So whenever it's a movie you guys don't want to have to watch again. <laughs> I'm just saying, there's no other movie that's going to that's gonna team up with this movie as well as The Running Man, I think. Well, wouldn't, that, wouldn't that Rob Zombie movie we did on Last Horror Cast team up just as well since they stole uh, the entire plot? Except The Running Man's good and that movie is not. Um, so it says uh, Chuck Toden hosts the most controversial show on TV, Live or Die, where death row inmates compete against each other for a chance to beat the executioner. However, when he accidentally kills a mob boss of the most feared mafia in the city, a hitman tries to put an end to him and his show once and for all. As a battle of wits and survival ensues, Chuck is forced to engage in the very tactics he uses on his contestants or die trying. Uh, I actually think I have another movie, so you guys wouldn't have to repeat. In Endgame, it's an Italian knockoff of The Running Man. Uh, At least for the first quarter. The first quarter, it's Running Man, and then it turns kind of into Mad Max, and then there's mutants, and then there's a telepathic kid, and he blows somebody up, and the movie's over. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there was nowhere left to go after that. I mean, yeah. How do you just splice that out for when we need a plot description? That'd be ideal. <laughs> uh, yeah, the uh, vinegar syndrome was like super cheap. Like I got uh, the Linnea Quigley movies for twelve bucks, and then the uh, Death Row Game Show for twelve dollars. Can, can, can we do Linnea Quigley's? Uh... Horror workout. <laughs> I know for a fact the first 15 minutes of that is nothing but her in the shower soap and her tits. <laughs> oh, Linnea Quigley, you so crazy. She's amazing. Yeah, we, uh, <laughs> friends of ours saw her at a convention off the convention floor. Like they had got to the hotel like the day before. And then Lene Quigley was there, but she couldn't find a room. So she just threw her suitcase down in the middle of the hallway and just sat on her suitcase and tried to figure out, like, what the fuck she was doing. And apparently, <laughs> my friend Casey tried to give her a beer, and she just looked at him like he was fucking insane. So he's like, oh, all right. And just walked back to his room. Uh, she was she was at uh, Rock and Shock. And uh, the only reason why I didn't get anything from her is because I was on a really strict budget and I spent all of my getting stuff signed money on Tim Capello. Jesus but uh, You're the weirdest human being on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, saxophone guy from Lost Boys. I'm going to buy everything you got. He's fucking, he's so awesome. But uh, somebody was talking about how they had a bootleg copy of the horror workout and they were like, 
man, I really want to go have her sign it, but you know, it's a bootleg and that's fine mm-hmm. about, but all this kind of stuff. So we're sitting there and they come back 20 minutes later laughing their ass off and they've got a signed copy of the bootleg. And you, they were like, wow, you went through it. And they're like, no, she had them on her stand and was selling the bootlegs. <laughs> awesome. Hey, well, does it, does it have an official release? No. Not, well, the not, the bootlegs since, are fine. Not since VHS. There's a, an official VHS release. Yeah. Well, I yeah. feel like that's probably out of print by now. So, yeah. probably most likely. So fuck them. Buy them on. Uh, buy the bootlegs. Yeah. If they don't want to put a movie out, if they don't want your money, then give it to somebody who does. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I guess we put it off long enough. Let's uh I guess let's talk about this week's movies. Oh, okay. <laughs> so Noah is the one who put these together. I still don't know why. Mutants. Toxic chemicals and mutants. Yeah, they both I have guess. that, but for one of them it's the plot of the movie and for the other one it's just some shit happening in the background for some reason. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So, Noah, you get to uh, synopsize one of them. Which one do you want to do first? Uh, I would rather synopsize Freaked. So, whichever one we want to do first, we can do first. Let's start with Freaked, then. (laughs) All right. So, uh, Alex Winters and his buddy who, if I remember correctly, his name is Tom Stern, uh, did a show on MTV called The Idiot Box, which was very short-lived. Most people do not remember it at all. Uh, From that, they managed to get the budget together to do a movie, which is surprisingly (laughs) packed with famous people. Yes, it is. Uh, It is about a childhood star who is now attempting to transition into uh, full-blown celebrityhood, hired by a company called EES, or Everything Except Shoes, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to to sponsor their company in some small country. Like, I don't think they ever actually say the name of the small country. They keep oh. saying Mexico, even though the guy keeps saying it's not Mexico. They say the name of it, but it's a made-up country. Say what? They do say the name of it, but it's not a real country. So yeah. it doesn't matter. Uh, so, on the way down with his best friend... He ends up finding and picking up an activist chick that he wants to schlog. Who's there to protest against him. Who's there protesting against him and his company. Played by Megan Ward, who I've had a crush on ever since I saw PCU. That's where I knew her from. Yeah. Uh, They decide to stop at a roadside attraction promising uh, basically a freak show. They get there to find uh, Randy Quaid <laughs> with long flowing blonde hair who invites them to view his private freak show in the shed which that just sounds dangerous and awful. Uh, upon going in they are exposed to the chemical that <laughs> that the main character is supposed to be peddling and selling. <laughs> Which, as it turns out, when hooked up to a weird 8-bit computer system, can transmogrify people into horrible freaks. 
that's that's the movie. The rest of the movie is kind of a an escape movie with a cast of horrible mutant people. Yeah, that's... I feel like you drastically oversimplified this movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, the problem is, is I feel like if if I tried to describe every plot detail that the description of the movie would be longer than the movie. <laughs> well, because every scene is like a whole new movie in this movie. It's so weird. It's just like every time you turn a corner, they're like doing something completely different. I, I will say the, the entire movie comes off as almost like a weird stylized sketch comedy bit. Yeah. Is that... I, can, I can see I that. I can see that, yeah. Uh, like I, can, I can see a sketch comedy bit about the freaks at a freak show all trying to escape and doing the ridiculous things that these freaks do. Uh, I don't know if that, those are supposed to be an hour and a half long, though. <laughs> yeah. I, I do know when this film came out, it w- ha- received a very poor reception <laughs> because people were expecting this to be Alex Winter's follow-up to Bill and Ted, which it is not. It is a very different thing. Although Keanu Reeves is in the movie as Ortiz the dog boy, although he's uncredited. Yes. He is awesome in this movie. I didn't realize it was him until I was like like looking on IMDb. It's like, oh fuck, that is Keanu Reeves. It was bugging me because I'm like, I know I know that actor from somewhere, but I'm thinking the makeup is what's confusing me. And for some reason, I didn't just check IMDb. I just sat there confused throughout the movie. (laughs) I'm I'm trying to decide if I should go through my feelings about this movie first or if I want to hear you guys' first. Well, Doug, this is the first time I've watched for you, right? Yeah, I'd seen parts of this movie. It used to play a lot on one of the cable channels up here, and I'd flip by it and then keep going. But I'd always watch a couple of minutes each time. So I had visuals in my head of what was going to be happening. <laughs> That's about it. So ultimately, what did you think about this movie? <sighs> Shit, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that is the correct response. <laughs> I, admit it, admit it. You want to hate it, but it's weirdly entertaining. I will tell you off the bat, that's pretty much where I'm at. I, I'm... <laughs> I'm kind of the same way. I definitely feel like this movie tried way too hard and too many jokes fell very flat for me because I felt like they were just, it felt like they were trying to make me laugh and it's sort of the equivalent to like in a horror movie when there's a jump scare and I'm like, well, even if I did jump or even if I did laugh, that's cheating and I don't give you credit for it. Uh, but that having been said, there were some good laugh out loud moments. I was really blown away when we got to the free show by how good the special effects in this movie are. Well, like, special the, effects are amazing. Why is that happening in this movie? That doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. I don't I feel like it's just they were like, we want to do all of this stuff. So yeah. let's do that. Like there is a uh a stop motion animation scene when the uh the best friend in the 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 love interest get mutated into the twins. Right. In which it's clearly supposed to be a throwback to like uh, uh, Harryhausen. Yeah. And, and the, even the Cyclops from Harryhausen like pops up for a half second. 
just for them to stamp it and be like, ah, we wanted to do this shit, we did it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, you can definitely have that feeling that this is, like, people who probably shouldn't be given $12 million. I did look into the budget, that's what it was. People should, who shouldn't be given $12 million to make their own inside joke, but somehow were. And that's, you, I, that, you feel that in the movie. You feel like most of the people involved were either there because they were offered like a paycheck, you know, your, your Randy Quaid's and your Mr. T's that'll show up almost anywhere. If, if there's a check involved and you know, the other, the other groups of people are all just buddies who got to do something fucked up because they wanted to. Uh, except for Keanu. Apparently he got a million dollars to be in this movie. Are you serious? <laughs> a, mil- a million dollars. <laughs> yeah. If I remember right, the budget for the film is like $12 million. Yeah. 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 Yep. But, by the way, just just when you mentioned poor reception, budget for the film twelve million dollars. I did look up the box office. Did anybody else? No, twenty nine thousand and change. Oh, twenty nine thousand. Like I said, it was not well received because everybody wanted it to be uh, Bill, Bill and Ted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like because the big thing for me is I started watching it. And I, I've never seen a trailer. I've never seen a clip. I knew of this movie. Uh, I knew Alex Winters directed it, was in it, and that it was about people, the freak show. I think I knew Mr. T played the bearded lady, which is some of the most spot on, most genius casting ever. Um, but like, I didn't really know anything about it. So when it started, I'm just like, what is the fucking tone of this movie? Because it's like this over the top like acting and stuff. And so yeah. I was kind of thrown off. It's like a really, really dark cartoon. Yeah. Sure. It also felt like maybe they were going for sort of like a an airplane type feel where they were trying to just be like, here's a story happening, but really we're just here to throw these wacky jokes at you. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, but it didn't, it wasn't consistent <laughs> on that. Sometimes it was, and sometimes it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. So it was just this weird, like, over the top delivery from everybody at first, uh, which lasted pretty much throughout the entire movie. But yeah, I think once I settled into okay, that's what this movie is. That's not what I was expecting, but that's what this is. I was able to sit back and enjoy it. Although I questioned many times, like, what the fuck is going on? What am I watching? Yeah, should we run through the cast real fast? <laughs> Yeah, go for it. Because it's ridiculous. When the yeah. opening credits were going, I'm like, "Yeah, what dirt does Alex Winters have on all these people that they agreed to be in this movie? Right. So we've got Brooke Shields, William Sadler, uh, Deep Roy, who, if you don't know the name Deep Roy, you would recognize him if you saw him. Yeah. Uh, the same thing with Michael, uh, I can't ever say his name right, Stoyanov. Is that how you say it? Maybe. He was in a ton of 90s movies, and I know he's still acting. He just doesn't look anything like what he used to look like. Um, Morgan Fairchild, Megan Ward, Brady Quaid, uh, Jeff Kahn, John Hawks, Mr. T, uh, Lee Arenberg, who, once again, you probably don't know the name, but if you saw his face, you would know who he is. It's worth noting. It's worth noting, too, like, we're not giving a list of cameos. These are people who all have roles in the movie. <laughs> like Randy Quaid is like a major character. Mr. T is not like a one-off joke where it's like, let's have Mr. T show up for a scene. Like he's wearing a dress for a lot of time in this movie. 
And I do have something just just because I don't want to forget about this later. Uh, for as <laughs> politically insensitive as this movie is, being being from the nineties, the one thing that seems to be bizarrely handled well is the bearded lady character. <laughs> because basically, oh, what well. you find out is that he's he's a transsexual, and, and basically the guy was like, "Hey, I can mutate you into a woman," and he was like, "Oh shit, all right." <laughs> but the scene plays out it's kind of like I think the exact words are something like wouldn't you just rather not have a dick <laughs> yeah he gets ready to punch him and, and he's is, like you can keep your beard and he's like oh yeah oh. <laughs> I don't know if that's weirdly handled well I think that, that too, but much of the modern day audience that might come across as insensitive well, I'm just saying the speech. The speech that Mr. T is giving is basically that he feels like he was always off, and this fixed him, and now he's yeah the person he wants to be. It's not that he mutated them without a dick, and he woke up and he's like, "No, I have no dick," and then is like really pissed off about it for the entire movie. But he is super happy to get his dick back at the end of the movie. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, uh. <laughs> <sighs> Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to think. It, 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 there's just so much going on in this movie. It's hard to pick what to talk about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like their first half hour of the film before they get to the freak show, there's literally like a scene where a kid is walks off a plane by opening the door and walking off. It proceeds to suction an old man in a wheelchair out the plane door. The stewardess just comes along, sees it open, closes it like an annoyed mother. I guess. So, uh, kids left the door open again. So, the Stewie character, uh, apparently, whenever they played this movie for test audiences and they, they really lost their shit, so they re-edited part of the movie, uh, the end scene where Stewie walks in, he's carrying the two trash bags... In the original cut of the movie, you find out what's in those trash bags because he says it's his lunch. And as it turns out, it's the dismembered bodies of several of his latest victims because the Stewie character has been a serial killer the entire movie. That makes more sense to me than a lot of the other shit that happened in this film. (laughs) Yeah, Stewie's an obsessed fan of uh, Alex Winters. So he keeps randomly showing up. Very, uh, I think, airplane, airplane-esque, like Doug said earlier. Like, oh, is this your is this your suitcase up here? There's some, like, little kid or whatever. And they're like, Stewie! They keep calling him a troll. <laughs> There's a troll in here. Stewie. If you look out the right side of the plane, you'll see a troll hanging off the side <laughs> of the wing. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't, it's hard to talk about this movie. <laughs> like I said, there's so much going on, and while while a lot of it is is kind of ridiculous and not funny, it does have some pretty funny things that happen throughout it. So Bobcat Goldthwait plays a character who's basically been mutated into a sock puppet for a head. This this leads to my favorite joke of the whole movie. That's what I was going to say. Where where 
during his show, the sock comes off and it reveals that instead of a head, he just has a hand. <laughs> and all the freak show people freak out because they feel like they got ripped off. Because <laughs> he's not a real freak. He's got a hand under there. But my favorite part of that whole thing is because they clipped to Randy Quaid and he's like, hey, puppetry is like a, a noble gen, a noble art in its own right. Show him the respect it deserves. Yeah. <laughs> and he, Randy Quaid plays the whole movie deadpan serious despite everything else that's going on and nobody else playing anything serious. Like, I don't, because I'm not entirely convinced that Randy Quaid knows he's in this movie. I think they just took clips of him. <laughs> and, and he. It's based he, on a true so, story about what Randy Quaid does in his spare time. He was so serious, and he get, like he's genuinely upset <laughs> that they're booing his act. Uh, and I, there's something about it I just loved. He's like, oh, "Show him the respect he deserves." I gotta say, I really loved Randy Quaid in this movie, and that made me really sad because he's a nutball now. I don't understand your use of the term now. You're implying that he wasn't a nutball back then? Well, at least people didn't know. He was a lovable nutball. Now he's just crazy. All right, fair enough. <laughs> uh, so so in the, the mutant shed, obviously we have lots and lots of mutants. We have uh, Ortiz the Dog Boy by Keanu Reeves. We have the Eternal Flame, who's just a guy with fire constantly shooting out of his ass. And every time he farts, it flares up. <laughs> Uh, then you've got a guy who's basically been turned into a giant worm with a human face, whose who's greatest woe in life is that he can't wipe his own ass anymore. Uh, who else is in there? I, I think the funny one of the funny ones, because you only see it once for a brief second, but they say there's somebody in there that's the Frogman, and the Frogman's just a dude scuba suit. <laughs> see, here's the thing. That was a funny joke when you did just see him once, but when he shows back up again, like twice more in the movie, I'm like, no, now you, you killed your first joke. You ruined it. Yeah. That, and that's that's one of the reasons why this I find this film, it's hard for me to say I liked it, is because there was too much of that where it's like you just you pushed it a little too far. It's the, it, This is one of those movies that it's... It is a bad movie. Like, there's no arguing. But oh, no, no, no. That's, that's not up for discussion whether it's a bad movie or not. It's whether we enjoyed it anyway. Yeah, right? but it's fucking fun. And for some reason, there's legitimate moments that get just so fucking stuck in your brain. And you don't think they're as funny as they are the first time you see it. And if you rewatch it, it just gets fucking funnier. The Rastafarian eyeballs with machine guns is the funniest fucking thing. And I don't know why. It's just because somebody so casually says it. And he goes, oh, no, don't go out there. They've got Rastafarian eyeballs and machine guns. <laughs> the thing is, at that point in the movie, that was not shocking anymore. <laughs> no. At all. Like... And that they were defeated just by throwing sand on their... <laughs> yeah, you throw sand on them, and then the big statue goes, ah, damn my eyes! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, by the way, by the way, by far my favorite freak of all of them. You know what it was? It was it was the hammer, and we get the flashback scene where we find out that the uh, <laughs> the carny guy bought a wrench and mutated it into just a hammer. 
and once again, it's when they're telling the stories and they do that flashback and then they come back and they're all in tears like, oh man, that's awful. (laughs) (laughs) It's literally just, yeah, for people who haven't seen it, it's literally they're going around and they're showing each freak up close and then there's like a black and white flashback to how they got captured and turned into a freak. And then there's just a hammer on the ground. Flashback black and white to Randy Quaid in his fucking weird getup in just a normal hardware store pulling a wrench off the shelf and just giving an evil smile to the camera. And it's like, and then it just cuts back to the fucking hammer. (laughs) There's also the gag of Alex Winter trying to escape by uh, ambushing the milkman and stealing his milkman costume only to find out that the other mutants big group plan was for them all to dress up like milkman and attempt to escape. And 12 milkman is believable, but 13, no way. He says, it's possible, statistically. (laughs) (laughs) I did like... I did love Randy Quaid's reaction when they all... They're all fighting out in the uh, yard, and he looks out the window and he goes, 13 milkman, all in the same route? No wonder they're fighting. And then he just moves on with his day. <laughs> There's... I, I do believe in the entire movie, my my absolute favorite joke, and it, it's even above the Rastafarian eyeballs of machine guns, which I, it, I I claim is endlessly quotable. The styrofoam cup thing, where they're making a bunch oh, of noise in the that. shed trying to be quiet, and then the styrofoam cup falls off and just barely goes... And it flashes inside. It's Randy Quaid's character, and he goes, "Hmm, styrofoam cup." <laughs> <laughs> you noticed all of our favorite moments directly involve Randy Quaid. He really stood out in this movie. Oh, he does. It's and hard like to stand said, out in a movie when Mr. T's there. Like it's and like Noah said, he stand or Doug or I don't know, one of you said he he stands out for being the straight man in this movie, yeah. which makes all of his stuff even more hilarious. Like, I agree that styrofoam cup thing is, like, the most ridiculous thing in the world. But he plays it so deadpan, like, when they cut to him, he just turns and he's like, styrofoam cup. Like, there's no, like, over-the-top emphasis or nothing. And then when he goes to check and he finds it, he's like, bad for the environment. And then just switches it. <laughs> and I do like that the end, the entire crux of the movie uh is that Randy Quaid's character is finally going to get a large enough shipment of this toxic chemical to make one final super freak, <laughs> which he will then use to make his amusement park into its its final form, which is the exact same amusement park, only called, like, Ultimate Freak World or something like that. <laughs> that was a pretty funny moment when he pulls, like, the blanket off and uncovers the the new theme park and it's exactly the same model like pretty good (laughs) but then they're attempting to get to the machine to make a goop to make their own super freak to fight his super freak (laughs) (sighs) which uh, of course that plan fails but hey he found macaroons for everybody (laughs) which turns out to be an important plot point (laughs) (laughs) It was one of those moments where I'm like, how are they going to wrap this up? And then he's like, I, well, I don't know, are we spoiling? Oh, yeah, <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't, I don't. 
I don't think any of the reveals affect how funny the no. movie is. No. When, he, when he when he finally does say he's like, I bake the antidote into some macaroons. And you're like, oh, those are the macaroons from earlier. And it's like, that's the dumbest thing imaginable. <laughs> like, that is literally, I can't conceive of anything stupider. That's stupider than sending a link to Right Said Fred to your friends just before you're before the podcast. <laughs> like, it was in the spirit of the movie. Yeah. It, it's it's fascinating. You're forgetting that they specify as a time release antidote. Yeah. <laughs> so it coincides just enough time with the end of the movie. Good lord. It did lead lead to another funny moment too when they're bringing the like demutated freaks out back in their normal form. So Mr. T has his dick back and everybody else is like back to normal human and they bring him out and then the worm guy comes out and he's like, This is preposterous just because a man doesn't like macaroons. <laughs> 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 I'm starting to think that my revised comments on the film are that I liked everything involving the freaks. It's yeah. kind of the, the stuff around it is what I kind of had trouble getting into. Like the they had like the group of executives that were all like dead bodies being weekend at Bernie's into voting for things, <laughs> and I was just like, it it's kind of funny to think about that, but they kept bringing it back, and I'm like. I don't. See, not I don't. Relevant. I th- I think it's not funny until you add in the fact that the evil puppeteer is William Sadler. <laughs> and then, well, and all of a sudden, you're like, "Wait, what in the fuck? <laughs> How did they? Was he not famous yet?" Like, <laughs> I was trying to do the math in my head, and again, I was didn't think to just go to IMDb. But like, this is '93, and '94 is Shawshank Redemption. He was already a known actor when that came out. Yeah. So people knew who he was at this point. Oh, I mean, he was he was in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, so. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, he was he was doing Alex Winters a solid, I think. So so what happened? I don't know. Maybe. Or did he get like a million bucks too for some reason? Because <laughs> Alex Winters should not be trusted with other people's money. You know, whenever you read articles about famous people, you always hear about how much of a bastard they are. Mm-hmm. And I was everything I've ever heard about Alex Winter is that everybody seems to really, really like him. Yeah. Yeah, I've never heard one negative thing about him. I don't think I've ever heard one thing about him. <laughs> <laughs> well, he directs documentaries now, so. Yeah. I didn't know that. I... He, should, he should have really stuck with his uh, career path here. We could be on Freaked 15 by this point. Yeah, I don't think he was getting more money for another movie after this one. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Is there anything else we want to cover? Like, there's no real, like, end point to this review because we've just been talking about all the shit that we think is hilarious in this movie. Nope. Uh, awesome. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's, I. I like, like I said, it's hard to talk about because it's each I each individual moving part seems to be okay, and whenever you put it all together, it's bad. But whenever you look at it from a little further away, it's all funny again. So <laughs> it, it is weird, good, bad layered together. Well, let's talk about the special effects. I think the special effects are amazing. Oh yeah, um, the stuff with. Uh... Um, Alex Winters gets like half of his face mutated at the beginning. 
I think all that stuff looks really good. And then later, when he gets fully mutated, I think that looks awesome. And then the weird Stewie monster at the end, I think, is amazing looking. Both those remind me a lot of uh, Ratfink. Do you guys know yeah. Ratfink? Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, it's, it's like Ratfink crossed with the Gremlins. Yeah. Sure. Uh, it reminded me of the Gargoyle from the Tales from the Dark Side of the movie. That's fair. Yeah. Well, I think it was an intentional Gremlins reference because they're the, the Alex Winter character drops a Gremlins comment when he's like half deformed. He says, "Oh, I can still be an actor. I'll just call my agent and see if they're still casting Gremlins 3. And then, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. When he fully mutates, he really looks like something out of Gremlins too. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's on purpose, right? <laughs> um, I think the cow, the cowboy costume. Oh yeah, cowboy. Yeah, that was outstanding. That had no yeah. business being in this movie either because it wasn't gross or weird. It just looked like if somebody was making Planet of the Apes but with cows, that's what they would all look like. <laughs> I love that they made him like a weird philosopher guy too that just, <laughs> for some reason, he was just like the voice of reason that everybody yeah. listened to because he was a cow. <laughs> which, which, bringing him up, is... Uh... The, the scene where Alex Winter is going to unveil his big plan at the end, and they all like come up with a plan for him. That that's pretty fucking funny. <laughs> they're, where they're like, we need to find a way to get the uh, the chemical out of the environment because it's everywhere. It's in the grass and stuff. And the cow's like, I've been wondering why my milk comes out blue. <laughs> <laughs> Loving he's a cowboy, but still has udders. Yeah. So. Well, you know. Yeah. No comment. <laughs> I don't think this film put that much thought into the realism. No. Um, was it Nosy? Was that his name? The guy yeah, whose face is just a giant nose? Yeah. Like, that, he could never get along with Alex Winter's character. <laughs> yeah, of course. For some reason, there was a stupid rivalry there. <laughs> uh, um, what are some of the other ones? The the conjoined twins of his friends, I think was done well, some somewhat decent because sometimes there were times I'm like, how are they standing like either over each other's shoulder or what? Like some of this was staged really well. The yeah, actual yeah. the actual thing is they're just wearing a shirt with two pedals in it, but I don't know. The... Some of the staging I thought was pretty good. All, all the jokes about the the twins and the fact that like she's having sex with Ortiz the dog boy and stuff. <laughs> That's pretty funny. The part I really like is like, oh, the... you guys are going to do it now? Oh, well, at least they're going to try a different position. <laughs> <laughs> you don't yeah, want to but... go up all half cocked. You got to believe me. <laughs> <laughs> oh. My favorite part of those twins, though, was when they started doing, like, the fighting back and forth, Three Stooges style. (laughs) They just beat on each other for the whole movie. So, the big question is, is it a recommend? I would recommend it if you're into really weird, like, over-the-top comedy horror stuff. Fair. Shit. Does that does that mean I have to say something now? <laughs> it does. Alright, so I have to think this through because I don't know yet. 
we'll see where I end up at the end of my thought process. The first half hour is essentially a airplane top secret type spoof, which is not as good as those other movies. So if the whole movie was like the first half hour, I would say no. Shit goes right off the rail for the rest of the movie after that. And the question is, is it off the rail enough that I would say people have to see it? Because we already said it's not a good movie by any stretch. But is it fucked up enough that you should see it? And I think the answer is probably yeah. If you're the kind of person that listens to this, you should watch it once. Uh, I would say have some drinks ready because you're going to need them. There's going to be times during this movie where you're like, I should be drunker when I see that. And you just want to have a shot there to take because it, it's so fucking weird. You just kind of got to lay there and let it wash over you. You know? Like, because there's a lot of moments that are directly lifted from other movies and you could, those could be tributes or those could be stolen jokes or however you want to look at it. But it's like, in some cases, it's like, well, I know where you stole that joke from. And it's funnier in the other movie. So why would I want to watch you guys do it less funny? But then turn around and you have that scene where the hammer has its own flashback. And I'm like, well, okay, I'm going to sit through those other jokes to get to that moment, I guess, is why I'm doing this. And there's just so many ridiculous things thrown at you that you're bound to enjoy a bunch of them. And I think you'll enjoy enough of them to bother seeing this movie. But... I feel like this would be a great group watch. I, yeah. I don't know if like a one a one on one watch, even though I did enjoy watching it that way, but I feel like if I was with a group of friends and we were drinking and stuff, this would be an amazing movie. Yeah, I yeah, definitely like a party movie this would be great for. I wish that I'd watched this in nineteen ninety three when it was like really common for me to have like all my buddies over and sit around my parents' basement pretend we weren't drinking so that the people upstairs wouldn't know kind of thing. Like, this would have been perfect for that atmosphere. Bunch of guys sitting around going, what the fuck just happened? Like, I think this would be one of those, like, cult movies if I had seen it back in the day. And it'd be one of those ones I'd, we'd still talk about. Mm-hmm. But... <laughs> I can't say I got excited when we announced this pairing on uh, Facebook, because I did have a whole lot of people popping up on the Facebook going, oh yeah, free, tell up free. And I'm like, woohoo, I've got support on this. <laughs> Finally, you like a movie that other people like. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I was thinking more just felt if you were going to yell at him, he'd be like, but these other people in the Facebook group liked it. <laughs> He's got a list prepared. If you yell at me, you're yelling at all these other people too. <laughs> Uh, this movie was so fucked up. Yeah, great. So does anybody know if I recommended it or not? I don't. <laughs> I believe you did under some conditions. Yeah, I will say, like, I watched it while I was homesick from work, and it's like you're not supposed to be like under a blanket drinking chamomile while you watch this movie. That's not that's not the way it was designed to be watched. I don't think. Um, I don't recommend that people do acid, but if you're going to do acid and you're going to watch a movie, it's probably a great combination. <laughs> you know. Oh, I don't know if that'd be a good trip or not. <laughs> It'd probably be bad. <laughs> no, Rain Quaid! No! <laughs> Styrofoam cup. Styrofoam cup. 
Like I said, endlessly quotable, and you will find yourself in the future quoting this movie. <laughs> Don't believe me now, but it will happen. You're going to be sitting, Brian's going to be sitting in his living room, one of the cats is going to knock something over in another room, and he's going to die. Hmm, styrofoam. No. <laughs> the man is going to be like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> And I'll be like, bad for the environment. And just squish something <laughs> in my hand. And she'll be like, I think like... you're having a stroke. <laughs> in my mind, you have a full drink in your hand, but you had to do it because you needed <laughs> it for the joke, so now it's everywhere. <laughs> I just look at my hand and then get all upset because I know what's about to happen. <laughs> damn it. God damn it. <laughs> Go in the kitchen, get a towel, lay it down. Bad for the environment. And she'll be like, that was awfully was a lot of work just for that joke. I'm like, you don't tell me how to joke, woman. Uh, you, you're describing the awkward first time, but the ridiculous time is when this happens for the third time. You know your cats are going to keep that shit over. <laughs> now, she's, now she's like in the other room when you start, so she brings you a towel. <laughs> Fuck, I don't know. At least don't get it on the carpet. I don't know. <laughs> she's like, I can't believe I'm married into this bullshit, and then just walks out of the room. I, I can honestly say I did see this in the 90s, like right after it came out and stuff. And uh, I was having a conversation with my parents and my dad told me to go rake the leaves or mow the lawn or something. I can't remember what it was. And I was like, I would, Dad. But they've got Ross and eyeballs. And <laughs> 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 just walked out of the room. And I'm pretty sure he was like, what in the fuck is wrong with my kid? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure your parents ask that a lot. Oh, a lot. I'm, I'm pretty sure they still do. And his dad just takes off his belt like, what kind of hippy-dippy nonsense you talking? <laughs> I, I, I think I he's on the pot. Yeah, he, his dad would not know how to react to that. It's like, I don't get it. I don't understand these jokes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I would recommend this to everyone who's got a uh, malleable sense of humor. Because <laughs> it's pretty, I think I think the parts that, that there's about 50% of the movie that's intentionally funny and it works. And then there's about 25% of the movie that is intentionally doing something and it doesn't work so badly that it's funny. And and then there's about twenty five percent of the movie where you're just going, what in the fuck is going? What am I watching? <laughs> Which I'd say that's a pretty good ratio for a weird ass <laughs> comedy movie. I would say this: if you're watching the movie and you never stop and think, "Oh my god, what am I watching?" Then when it's done, you need to like call a psychiatrist. Something <laughs> is wrong with you. If this movie makes sense to you. Uh... All right, so should we move on to street trash? We should. Oh, yeah, fuck. I guess. Um, oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> well, I feel like I'm, gonna t- I'm about to tell Doug to, to synopsize this, and I feel bad because I don't... I don't know how I would synopsize I'm just gonna be, this. I think in order yeah, I, to... I, I just, to be honest with you, yeah, I cannot synopsize this movie. I do not know. Is that... To do a synopsis, there needs to be a plot. Yeah, no, why don't you synopsize this movie? <laughs> okay. 
So there is a huge there's a huge colony of bums living in a city uh, under the brutal rule of Bronson, who is a ex Vietnam vet, who's who's cray cray. Uh, then we have an obnoxious uh, hipster looking homeless guy. True. Who's, who's causing problems for Bronson being an obnoxious hipstery douche homeless person. Meanwhile, on the other end of town, a guy finds a case of liquor <laughs> under, in a vent underneath a staircase, a la the butt baboon from Creepshow, <laughs> uh, which is called, ah, oh, damn it, something Viper. Piper. Viper. Yeah, but it's got two words. It's something Viper. Wow. Oh, I, I can't I remember. that. But he takes it out and decides to sell the hooch for a dollar a bottle in order to make a profit. Uh, Homeless folks start getting the booze and drinking the booze. And as it turns out, this chemical uh, randomly kills you in a melty, colorful kind of way. Uh, A woman is then raped and then re-raped, group-raped, murdered, dumped into a river, found, and re-raped again. It's a lot of rape. But that is that is the entire middle bit of the movie. Is <laughs> So weird. Uh, then a guy's penis is cut off, <laughs> and the bums play rugby with it. <laughs> uh, leading to an ultimate confrontation between hipster bum, a cop, and and other interested parties uh, for no apparent reason. Yeah. <laughs> the end. <laughs> I can't believe you skipped over the family of extremely fat people that run the trash yard where the homeless people live. And they're, they're like secretary who they hired because she's Asian and they like to be racist against Asians and sexually harass people. You try to bring her up because she, she plays a major role in that the hipster homeless guy has a younger brother. That's a non hipster. So she pretends to be a mother to him until she gets him alone and then seduces him. I can't believe you skipped all that in your plot description. (laughs) Well, I got, I got distracted by the part where the girl gets raped and then re raped. Yeah. Like, Jesus Christ. I I completely I, I think I've seen bits and pieces of this before, and I don't recall the raping and re-raping and group raping and then the raping of her corpse. Yeah. Well then you just weren't paying attention. Oh, there's also a subplot of uh uh the the rape factory girl is the Girlfriend of a low-level mafia boss, apparently. Oh, how did I forget about the mobsters? Yeah, yeah, <sighs> yeah, yeah. So that <laughs> I don't even know where to begin with this movie. As much as I thought during Freaked, I was like, "What the fuck am I watching?" Uh, that's like triple for this movie. <laughs> I was just like, what? Like, what? What's happening? There's, like you said, there's no real plot plot for this movie. At least in there's this one, stuff happened. There's, there's kind of a reason why there's no plot. So this originally was a short film, mm-hmm. 
which was basically a dude melting. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And yeah. then they were like, let's expand this into a full-length movie. That's not a good explanation for what happened. <laughs> well, no, it is. Because they added no plot. They just made that longer. <laughs> yeah, but they didn't even do that. Like, there's no... The focal point of this movie... Because taking, taking that short film and then making it longer, that's how you get your one plot about the guy finds booze, sells it cheap to homeless people, they start melting. Okay, that's that's directly taken from this short film that you're describing. The rest of the shit with the junkyard and the homeless people and the Vietnam flashbacks, that's all just added in. It doesn't make any sense at all. It's like there's three or four different movies going on here. Like it's like this is really a precursor to Pulp Fiction, I guess is what I'm getting at. <laughs> is that it's all these different plots and they just kind of intersect, but they don't ever really intersect because nothing ever really happens in this movie. There I will say in this movie it contains the line inside of her we found literal layers of semen. I feel bad for the last guy because the third from the last had syphilis. No. See, we all knew it contained that line, but none of us wanted to say it. So, so my review is very simple. Uh, This movie is is pointless. Completely, like, there's no plot. it's, It's... it's fucking weird and stupid and basically everything where somebody speaks could be taken out of the film and it would have no fucking effect on the film. Well, Uh, if if you took out the speaking, it would significantly (laughs) reduce the racism of the film, which is true. (laughs) I don't understand what you're talking about. Um, I could have done without the, uh, the third raping of the girl personally, (laughs) but all the melting stuff's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, that wasn't bad. Especially the first one, the uh, the weird face in the toilet thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I thought I thought the effects were actually. I thought a lot of things were done pretty well in this film. Like, I thought the portrayal of the weird, like, if you assume that this if this was like a Mad Max movie, and then I think that that homeless guy living in the trash. The, the 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 junk king, yeah, like he would be a cool character. He doesn't make any sense in a movie that's set in the real world. But if this was, you know what I mean? If this was like a post-apocalyptic movie, he would be a cool character. The melting scenes, I think, were done pretty well. I think some of the stuff involving like the relationship between the secretary at the junkyard and the kid homeless guy that was actually a little effective. Like she gets into conversations with him about how they grew up like with a home in a normal family and this homelessness befell them. And I'm like, I don't know why these conversations are in this movie. They don't serve any point to drive anything except for this scene. But I thought they were well done. It's just, none of it makes any sense or matters in any way. Yeah. I think the worst thing is, is in a movie, you kind of need a, a character that you can sympathize with. And that kind of doesn't exist because you don't spend enough time with the non-hipstery looking brother right? to get attached to him. And hipster guy, who basically is the main character through the whole movie, uh, is a fucking rapist and a piece of shit. <laughs> like, he's, he's a thief and a rapist. 
Oh, yeah. And he also, like, he's kind of a loser. Like, he always goes out there and shoots his mouth off, and then he gets beat up for it. But then he tries to, like, use the booze to, like, kill the people that beat him up. And I'm like, wait, every time he got beat up, I felt like he kind of had it coming. So I don't, I'm not on your side with the murder either. It's, yeah, he's not a likable guy. So let's talk about penis rugby. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Because <laughs> you have to admit, that scene's pretty fucking funny. It's pretty fucking funny. Especially, especially when the crack whore uh, bum chick like gets the penis and she's like going to hide it. Like She's like, oh, I could use this later. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can't say I didn't laugh during the moments. Um, it, it is literally like... Because it's... It, it serves no purpose. It's this weird thing where, like, the guy's just trying to take a leak, and like the one of the homeless guys is like angry because the penis comes through the fence too close to his head, so he cuts it off. There's no blood whatsoever, which is weird. In a, I assume there would be blood. There, there wasn't. I spit on your grave. I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe they were trying to avoid the uh, the X rating. Oh, that's it. That's what they were going for with this one. Yeah, right. They're just trying to appeal to a family audience. Well, no, well, no. I'm, I'm saying like because you, there were reasons why you would pull an X rating back in the day if there was too much blood and stuff. I think that might be the reason why all the melting people are all colorful instead of just being actual flesh tone in blood melty stuff. Your theory is that these people thought they were rating away from like being a box office bonanza. Like that's. No, <laughs> no, no, getting the X rating would completely prevent you from going to any theaters. Do we know you if know this movie actually did go to any theaters? I don't know. <laughs> sort of surprised to find out if it did. Uh, Bronson does have a pretty sweet uh, femur bone knife. <laughs> oh, yeah. Again, like I say, in a weird Mac, Mad Max ripoff, he'd be a cool character. Yeah. I, I read a quote from one of the actors. I do believe it's the guy who played the uh, the cop, uh, who was an actual like uh, police officer who they hired to play the cop. Who he said he came in the first day of shooting and he hadn't even seen a script. He said when they were done filming the movie, he had no idea who the Bronson character was. <laughs> and he goes, and to be honest, to this day, I don't know who Bronson is. <laughs> <laughs> Which sounds about right. Yeah. That sounds accurate. This fucking movie. <laughs> I think I think the bad thing is so this this movie's garbage. Like this is a bad this is a bad bad movie. But even though it's complete garbage, it's almost worth watching it just for the cool melt scenes. Yeah, I would check face or YouTube to see if there's just a super cut. <laughs> and then you've seen all the good stuff. Yeah, if you're wanting some nice exploitative nudity, uh, you don't really get that except for the the rape montage in the middle of the movie. Yeah. Well, you get the it's weird not... people running out of the building completely naked when it's on fire at the beginning. 
Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. The the, home, the the hipster homeless guy just stumbles upon a burning building as he's running away from other homeless people that he's stolen from. So that the apartment building that they're running through in that scene, mm. that is the the apartment building that the director of the movie lived in. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's where he deserves to live for making this movie. <laughs> I think I got to push back on the on the not enough nudity thing though because there is like the fun nudity at the beginning and then the like hot secretary chick. I used air quotes there but you guys couldn't see me because she's like portrayed as the hot chick they do kind of tease her the whole movie and at the end we do get to see so I mean she's kind of hot Well, regardless of whether you find her attractive personally it's she was kind of like throughout the movie they teased that she was the hot chick and then like towards the end she finally reveals herself so they did the the typical 80s tropes of finding reasons to stick nudity in the movie but they handled them well enough yeah yeah I don't know <laughs> I feel like I, I, I feel like I'm did. giving the movie too much credit by saying they did something right though they did they did so many weird things like the, so the Bronson character on, t- on top of the fact that like he's not well developed enough for you to like be rooting for these random people to take him down uh, the owner of the junkyard, the big fat guy who's constantly sex- sexually harassing the Asian chick and who decides to bang the corpse of the rape victim. Bleh. Yeah. He is completely loathsome, and he would have been a better, like, main bad guy. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. And that also gets us to the question I had with, he knows that these people live in his junkyard, right? And he doesn't want them there, but he doesn't do anything to get rid of them. Does anybody understand that, or am I just thinking too much about this movie? <laughs> like, because he mentions like I can't believe these guys live out there, and they like he knows like who their leader is and everything. And then he's like, "They're like, but it's your private property, and this is, movie is set in the real world. Just call the police and say, please remove these people from my private property, and it becomes their problem to do it." <laughs> I don't understand the whole thing. The whole setup is so weird; it doesn't make any sense. I thought there's a weird there's a weird scene where they're in the police department talking about the Bronson character and how the cops really want to take down Bronson because apparently they think he's some kind of criminal <laughs> criminal well, mastermind guy even though all of his bums despite being weird and creepy and bum like don't do very much illegal stuff. No, they like rob each other. Yeah, as like as, as to compared to the the rest of the people in the movie, but they're like we need information about him so that we can take him down and so that we can find him because nobody knows anything. All we know is that he lives in this fucking junkyard. They know where he lives. <laughs> you know exactly where he is. You, you know the place. Go to the place. <laughs> yeah, a lot of that didn't make sense. You know, scene I, you know what scene I really liked? is when the one homeless guy decides he's, he tells all the other guys, he's like, give me your money, I, I, can, I can work a deal and get us lots of food. And oh. then his whole plan is to pocket the money and just go steal the food. <laughs> and he's like, he, he's, go, he's just shoving all this food down his pants, and, and his pants just keep getting bigger and bigger. And it was, it was like something out of the other movie, like slapstick comedy. Because then when they come, come over and they like challenge him, he hands them a receipt, and they're like, He's like, I already paid for all this stuff, see? And they're like, this receipt just has dog food on it. 
<laughs> I was, I love I was like laughing out loud during that. I, I do love the fact that there is blatantly a big slab of raw chicken meat hanging out of his pant leg over his shoe. Yeah. When he starts to run away, a couple of things fall out. I don't know. I don't doubt that was planned. It seems like just it happened. I don't know why I enjoyed that scene so much. That guy might have been my favorite character in the whole movie because he was always doing dumb shit. Well, that's that's the whole thing. He should have been the main good guy, and creepy sleaze lord should have been the bad guy. There better you go. movie. It's a better movie, and it takes like ten seconds to write all those other people out. You can leave in the weird bum crack whore lady for who whatever fucking purpose she serves. This was so weird. This thing was so weird. <laughs> yeah. But once again, the, the crazy thing is the when it actually boils down to like the horror stuff, you know, the, the splatty, melty, gross stuff. Oh, it looked great. It's all done really, really well. Mm. Well, like, I, there was a lot of individual elements of the film, like I was saying earlier, that are, like, they're done pretty well. They're just they don't matter and they're not like again like you you would think the fact that people are melting would play some major role in the rest of the plot of the movie but not really like it's just a thing that's happening around town it just it just becomes a point in the the hipster douches vengeance plot at the end of the movie that he's like i could walk around with one of these in my pocket they'll beat me up and then drink it yeah <laughs> <laughs> that'll show them <laughs> But like that's a long way to go for that plot point. It's so weird. It's, it's I don't know. I like the fact that the movie's called like Street Trash, and it's really just about a bunch of people who are homeless and that. It's like, well, that's not a nice thing to call them. Like, I would say it's it's hard to be uh, offensive toward homeless people, but this movie doesn't. Like, they, they actually, they actually portray homeless people far worse than what homeless people deserve to be portrayed as. I wonder if we have any homeless listeners that are going to email in and let us know what their thoughts are on this movie. Like I said, it's I don't I don't know. And once again, like as far as like a recommend or something, I. I would recommend this movie to myself. <laughs> like, <laughs> but I'm trying to think if there's another human being on the planet who like could watch this movie and go, man, this movie's complete shit. But those melt scenes are so cool. <laughs> because I think everyone else is going to be like, you son of a bitch. You made me watch this fucking movie. <laughs> That's never stopped you before. No. Hey, not when it comes to you guys. I've been yelling that at you for 12 weeks now or something. (laughs) But we have a special relationship. And that special relationship is we have to talk about this shit on the show. (laughs) So I can make you guys watch garbage and then berate me about it. (laughs) Well, you're only like half wrong this week, so it's okay. What's weird is like it's like there's one good movie this week, but it's like a few parts of this movie, and 
some parts <laughs> of the other movie that are right that are good and then there's like neither of them are actually good but you know it averages out to one good movie between the two i think i was gonna say i think if you take all of the cool melty bits from street trash and you add it to all the funny bits of the first movie it's actually slightly more than one movie that's good <laughs> it's debatable you know what's really weird about Street Trash is I had it confused with another movie, uh, Slime City, which is also about yeah. people who find stuff in the basement and drink it, and it melts them, kind of. Oh, yeah. Which is weird that there's more than one movie that has that plot point in it. Add it to the list! No. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, anything else before we move on? Uh, very conditional recommend. <laughs> watch this movie if you really like special effects. Don't, don't watch it for any other reason. Well, or or if you're really interested in the penis rugby scene, because it is really fucking funny. But I assume that, I would assume that the melt scenes and the penis scene are on YouTube individually, so you can watch those without having to sit through this movie. Um, but that having been said, I do think there is a, an audience out there who are into just full-on 80s sleaze, and they may actually enjoy this movie because they're not going to give a shit that there's no plot. Whereas, like, I I like a reasonable amount of sleaze. You know, I can get behind movies like Basket Case that are obviously sleazy, but at least they still have a through story. Um well, I was going to say, even even in the realm of 80s sleaze, there are much better sleazy movies. Well, th- this is this is a movie that, it, again, maybe we shouldn't even be using the term movie, because movies are generally, like, they tell you a story, and this one doesn't. But it's... This is... Weirdly, like, this is like a, like a Richard Linklater film, like, where it's just, like, examining all the characters in a given area at a certain time, but all the characters are just different levels of sleaze weird as that is so i don't know i think there are probably people out there who think this is a cult classic who think that all the ridiculousness is worth sitting through i don't know that i could like do i recommend this movie to anybody no of course not but i think there probably are people out there who like it yeah i I agree i feel like this movie is is what would happen if David Lynch had a, like a dumb little brother who didn't know how to make movies? Jesus Christ! I was taking a sip of water when you said that. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Because like the body horror stuff is all pretty competent. Yeah, but but instead of the rest of it, you going, hmm, I wonder what that means. You're like this. You're like, what the fuck? <laughs> Wait, wait, there's mobsters now? Yeah, this guy's clearly just making this shit up as he goes. <laughs> and which, arguably, that's exactly what David Lynch does. But he makes you second guess the fact that he's yeah. making shit up as he goes. This this really is just, yeah, it's non-art host David Lynch. It's <sighs> so fucking weird. What a weird fucking week this has been. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, 
info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to TheMidnightDriveIn at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Um, Noah, I will let you know that uh, VHS PS is having a Black Friday sale. So everything is 50% off. And everything on their website's already ten bucks. So that means you can get stuff for five dollars. Oh man! And they do have Linnea Quigley's horror workout. I was gonna say, I have to, I have to load up on Linnea Quigley and run power movies. <laughs> <laughs> fuck, fuck you, Brian! I love Rook around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do, do you follow their uh, Facebook page? Uh, I think I do. Alright. Yeah, they got the, the code and stuff up on their on their Facebook page that you're supposed to use when you check out. Nice. Which is just thanks. And probably that gets you fifty percent off. Yeah. Uh so congrats because uh Noah's gonna find some weird ass shit for us to cover on the show at some point. Damn it. <laughs> I need to. I need to send them. Just send them like a, a big long email telling them what we do, and be like, "I need you guys to sponsor us, and I need you to just start sending me the most batshit crazy VHS movies you can find." Like a movie called Swingers Massacre. Is it weird that that one was on the shelf and I wanted to get it? <laughs> now is that about? like swingers like couples that trade partners who get massacred or is it like swingers like the dancing the dancing style swingers uh i'm gonna assume the former either way want to see it yeah this thriller drama falls as a suburban well oh jesus christ whoever, whoever <laughs> writes these descriptions for their website apparently does not do a second pass uh it says this thriller slash drama follows a a suburban lawyer down a ruinous, blood-covered road. The trouble begins when he tires of life in the slow lane. It's just that he and his wife should join a swinging couples club and do a little spouse swapping. But then he begins suspecting that the wife is having too much fun with the other swingers. It's also called AKA Inside Amy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, whoever was chasing her got her, apparently. <laughs> Uh, that's hilarious. All right. Uh, okay. So we only got one piece of voicemail this week or listener mail, voicemail, whatever. You know what I mean? Email. Yeah. Uh, so our good buddy, uh, Tara Hope Kent, uh, sent a message in and said, Hey guys, sounds like I really need to rewatch little monsters. I think the last time I saw it was about 28 years ago. So I don't remember much about it. I only remember Howie Mandel peeing in someone's juice and a weird fly creature with maggots. Uh, That is so true. Every time I think of that movie, that's the first thing I think of is that kid biting into the cat food sandwich and like going and grabbing his juice and taking a sip and then spitting it all over the teacher and going, oh, best in my juice. (laughs) Uh, 
Oh, when I was a kid, I definitely wanted to try all those pranks. Oh, yeah. I'm so glad I didn't, because I would have got caught, and I would have got the shit beat out of me, but whatever. But then I also got grossed out, because who the fuck eats a peanut butter and onion sandwich? That's disgusting. Yeah. That's where the line was crossed. <laughs> Sounds like a pregnant lady thing. Right? What's the matter with you, Fred Savage? Uh, he says, one I've watched more recently, thanks to Rift Tracks, is The Wizard. When I first saw this movie, I remember that kid playing with the blocks and also expect her, expected a Tetra payoff, payoff. And maybe they did have to change it, as I remember there being some controversy as who owned the rights to that game. The original creator was some Russian guy, and I think he may have been screwed over or something. Maybe? don't know. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I remember the commercials for Tetris had a Russian guy in them. So. Yeah. That sounds about right. Well, even the opening screen on the Game Boy version was like, uh, yeah, whatever the the big giant building is in Moscow. Tetris, so, you build, comrade. Monument. <laughs> uh, says having watched Stranger Things two recently, I'm wondering if Maxine was intentionally based on the girl from The Wizard. I guess the only two things I can think of in common is though are one plays video games and two has red hair. So maybe it was a coincidence. Uh, as to the film's portrayal of quasi-autism, it's not surprising that Hollywood got it wrong. Hell, when me, myself, and Irene came out, they were confusing schizophrenia and dissociative identity disorder. It's amazing to me that Hollywood spends millions on movies and finds period-accurate clothing and props, but can't bother to listen to a consultant on their science. As a biology researcher, it's frustrating to see scientists behaving incompetently on screen or simply getting facts wrong. Because while getting the science wrong may be critical to the plot, it can leave people in an inaccurate impression of reality. For instance, the frogs that change their sex mentioned in Jurassic Park don't exist. Frogs do change their sex, but only when treated with chemicals like atrazine. Or as the great scientist Alec Jones would say, the water is making the friggin' frogs gay. <laughs> Sorry for the long, long email. Stay savage. Terre Haute Kent. P.S. Humans use 100% of their brains. Some people just don't use them well. This is a liberal media. Putting, putting shit in the water and turning the frogs gay. <laughs> By the way, you never have to apologize for your long emails if you end it with that. Because that's awesome. <laughs> I will reiterate my defense of the of the wizard, pointing out that they never called it autism, so they were not bound yeah. by the rules of real autism. And I think he raises a really good point, bringing up me, myself, and Irene, where they did give it a name. And then when they don't obey the rules, it's obvious that they didn't obey the real life rules. So that's why one movie. That's why the wizard is such a better movie than me, myself, and Irene. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> uh, thanks, Tarot Kent. Um, yeah, I think everybody should rewatch A Little Monsters and the Wizard. We had a great time talking about them, which yeah. shocked the fucking hell out of us. Yeah, it was really good. I still can't believe how deep we got into those movies. <laughs> <laughs> and we're like, fuck this. Let's get back to some street trash. <laughs> <laughs> I had to really, I had to really, the the brow got too high in the last episode. I had to really bring it back down. <laughs> All right, anybody watch anything? 
I know you got a long list you want to go through before I do mine. Uh, I got a short list. Okay. Uh, I, w- I went and saw Justice League, but we're going to talk about that later, I think, right? Uh, yeah. I think, uh, uh, I think uh, Doug, did you get a chance to see Justice League? No. I'm, well, it's not that I didn't have a chance. It's that I chose not to see Justice League. Gotcha. Um, I'm thinking me and Noah may do a uh, Geek Nerdery podcast episode after this, talking about it. Nice. Use our use our skills for that whole scenario. Uh, then I watched uh, just tonight. Actually, I watched Jim and Andy. The uh, oh, I was gonna, I was going to do that when we get done recording. Yeah, pseudo documentary about uh, Jim Carrey, kind of about Andy Kaufman. Yeah, not not super detailed, but kind of about the and for the most part, the movie's about the shenanigans Jim Carrey got up to while they were filming Man on the Moon, because apparently Jim Carrey's the type of method actor who falls into character and then refuses to be addressed as himself. So he he spent all the time in the characters of Andy Kaufman and. Uh, Tony Clifton. Tony Clifton. And apparently the shenanigans he got up to while he was doing Tony Clifton were pretty fucking epic. <laughs> yeah, I loved I loved the trailer to this where Jim Carrey starts the trailer with well, Universal never wanted to release this video these uh videos because it would have made me look like a giant asshole. Yeah. <laughs> I can I can understand why. Uh all in all, I would say it's good. I'm a little biased. I fucking love Jim Carrey. Like, just fucking love it. I, I don't love every movie he's ever been in, but as an actor and a performer and stuff, he's one of my favorites. I really like the... the uh, what do you want to call it? Like, the... Um, the dedication to just do weird shit that he allows himself to do and not worry about other outside stuff if they're going to like it or not. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, and I think his best performance is Man on the Moon. I think he just oh yeah, without a doubt, nailed it. And it's I love that movie. I, you know, it's kind of like a once a year watch for me. Every now and again, I just have an urge to see it. And oh I, yeah. Every time I like it, it's and I didn't know really anything about Andy Kaufman going into it. That's sort of where I learned about him. That I became a fan of his work after seeing it. So, did I ever tell you guys my Andy Kaufman story? Mm-mm. So I watched Man on the Moon like in the theater when it came out. Loved it. Like Doug just said, I, I knew a little bit about Andy Kaufman, but like not a whole lot. Um, so really enjoyed it. I started really diving into like Andy Kaufman, just researching who he was and stuff. Saw that the uh, local uh, uh, video play Suncoast had the Andy Kaufman special on VHS. So I bought it, uh, went home, watched it the next day. I was super excited to watch it. Um, if you'll remember, in Man on the Moon, there's a scene while they're doing the special where he thinks it would be hilarious if all of a sudden the picture starts flipping. Yeah. And he explains that, like, people are going to get up, bang on the side of their TV, like, what's the wrong with their TV? And, you know, all this stuff. He is really, like weird joke that like is funny to him and pretty much like nobody else but the network kind of 
compromises with them. Let's do it. So I've seen the movie. I've, I've watched it, enjoyed it. So I went and bought this VHS, sat down and watched it. At a certain point, the picture starts messing up. And for about 20 seconds, I was sitting there going, God damn it, I just bought this fucking VHS. <laughs> and I literally was getting up to go adjust the tracking on my VCR. Stopped midway to the TV. Went, you son of a bitch. And then I sat down and started laughing hysterically to myself. Andy and, Kaufman got you from beyond the grave. <laughs> exactly. He still ended up getting me, even though I knew that was a joke. In my defense, the, the where the picture flips is different in the actual special than what they show it is in the movie. I've, I think I read somewhere that they did that on purpose so that people wouldn't know where to expect it in the special. Yeah. Because I imagine they re-released it when the movie came out or something. But did I ever tell you yeah. my story about seeing Man on the Moon in the theater? No, go for it. So we go in the we were in the theater, relatively crowded. It was a pretty popular movie. And towards the end, when Andy figures out he has cancer, there's the scene where he reaches and just feels the lump on his neck, mm-hmm. and does like a close up on Jim Carrey's face. Well, right at that moment, the t- the uh, the reel broke. But here's the thing: we've just been watching an Andy Co- a movie about Andy Kaufman for like an hour and a half at this point. <laughs> Nobody in the fucking theater budged. We're all sitting there waiting for like the little like black and white Jim Carrey to come out and laugh at us or something. <laughs> and like several, if I don't, I can't guess how long, but several minutes I would say went by. And finally, somebody's like, "Is this part of the movie?" <laughs> <laughs> and like one guy, like finally, he's like. I'm gonna go check if this is supposed to be happening. We were all like, we were all stunned. We we're like, nobody knew how to react. We we're like, this feels like something that they would be doing to fuck with us. And it's just, it's hilarious. And finally, someone from like the theater had to come in and explain to us, like, no, it just because it was like pre-digital, things just break sometimes. We'll get it fixed and get it started back up for you. Uh, that's awesome. One of the weirdest experiences I've ever had in my life is the whole theater is just like looking around at each other. Like, I don't want to be the one that gets up. And then as I'm halfway out the theater door, he, Jim Carrey pops back up and makes fun of the people who left her. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it was good. Nice. I, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. I've been meaning to get to it. Like, like I said, some some of the shenanigans that they get up to is just crazy. Because as it turns out, uh, uh, Andy Kaufman's girlfriend, uh, the the one who uh, Courtney Love plays in the movie, mm-hmm. she shot this documentary. She shot all the footage of Jim wow. Carrey being okay. and uh, what's uh, what's uh, Andy Kaufman's friend that. Uh, What's, Bob Zamuda, Bob Zamuda, and Bob Zamuda was on set, mm-hmm. hanging out with Jim, doing all so like a bunch of the like shenanigans. Is Andy Kaufman's actual crew of friends with Jim Carrey surrogate playing Andy <laughs> Kaufman, which is just fucking bizarre. <laughs> It seems like that's a great tribute to Andy Kaufman, though. Yeah, it's really weird. There's, a, I mean, there's a scene where he meets Andy Kaufman's dad. 
And once again, Jim Carrey refuses to leave characters, so he's meeting Andy Kaufman's dad as his dead son. Oof. It's it's so fucking weird. Parts of it are weird, but it's it's really good. And like I said, Jim Carrey's a really interesting cat. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then I watched. Uh, it's it was it was turkey season, so I watched uh, Thanksgiving. Because <laughs> there aren't there aren't enough Thanksgiving horror movies. And then it's early. Normally, I don't watch it till December, but uh, I ended up watching Gremlins. Because nice. while I was over at my parents' house, we were flipping through Netflix and Gremlins was on there. And I was like, oh, let's watch Gremlins. And my nephew, who, who I was talking about the soft, soft children. <laughs> so, so he was like, oh, can I watch Gremlins? And <laughs> my brother was like, uh, uh, yeah, I guess. But if your mom asks, tell her that I told you that you could watch it when you were 10 and you're 10 now. <laughs> so, and then, of course, the nieces came in and they were all watching it. And then at one point, the my sister-in-law found out that her children were watching it. Oh, Jesus. And, of course, she was like, ah! <laughs> I've literally showed that movie, that movie to two-year-olds before. Well, that's, so, that's my own opinion. I think a four-year-old could watch it. I mean, it's not... There are parts yeah. of it that are freaky, but... Nothing that'll like fucking traumatize you or anything. Yeah. I remember watching it when I was like five or six. Yeah. So I yep. watched watched uh, watched the old Gremlins. It's still awesome. That movie does not. It doesn't like age. It's yeah. so fucking perfect. I don't. You you'd think it would start to look shitty at some point, but it really doesn't. Uh, you know what it is? It's that atmosphere that sort of Amblin entertainment atmosphere that they set up where it's like not quite the real world it's this picture perfect version of the real world so because it's not entirely realistic it doesn't feel old even though it happened a long time ago if that makes sense yeah I, it's kind of like the universal classics it's like we all know the world never looked like that we just have this idea that once upon a time it did so they kind of just created a universe that lasts forever. And the Universal franchise it got dumped again. <laughs> wah, wah. Yeah. I just don't I <laughs> it's one of those things. I every every horror fan on the planet agrees with what they should do with those movies. I don't understand why the guys in the office don't go, well everybody says that we should make them period movies. But those fuckers don't know what they want. Everybody screws this shit up. Everybody says we should make them horror movies, but I think action is the way to go. I think that we should take all of our horror franchises into the action genre. That's the way to go. Yeah, I would. I would even argue you could go light on the horror if you went full drama with them. Sure, but I, I just don't. I don't. For the life of me, I don't fucking. I don't understand any decision Universal makes. They're fucking idiots. Yeah. The whole entertainment industry is fucking full of stupid people somehow that made it to the top. It's annoying. Yeah. Uh, what else? Oh, I watched all the Punisher. Mm. I'm about halfway through. I am four episodes deep. Uh, it's good. Uh, you guys, uh, I know you guys are thinking that it's slow right now because you're in the middle bit. 
Oh, I'm not. I'm enjoying it. Uh, I've been seeing, I think I've been seeing people slow. say that. I, th- but... I think it's slow, but I think it's good that it's slow. Yeah. Yeah. The last, the it's like the last three episodes get real fucking awesome all of a sudden. And I don't know. Well, I guess I'll, I'll hold off until we can do a more spoilery one. Once you guys have watched them, but I, I would say I liked it. The only the only complaint that I have happens in like the first fucking episode, so it's not exactly a spoiler. But the fact that they end Daredevil season two with perfect Punisher, he looks like the Punisher. He's got the skull. Everything's great. Mm-hmm. Let's roll with that. And instead of taking that as the jumping point and going forward. They fucking go, no, reset everything back to square one. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a little weird myself. Yeah, it was, it's bullshit. Like, it's, that was a bad decision, but it's still a good show. Even They just made a bad decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I just, again, I don't know if 12, 12 episodes of him walking around with a skull in his shirt shooting people is going to be fun to watch. At some point, that becomes gun porn. But by well, I think creating, creating a gun porn. Sure. But when you're making a 12-hour miniseries about it, you've got to come up with a story and drama. And a lot of that is harder to do with him shooting people in the face 12 times an episode. So. And since you guys are both past it already, I will say, Tom Waits' hammer fight. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. I don't know if I don't know if I put it up there with the hallway fight scene, but but the hammer fight was pretty fucking cool. There's a lot. There's yeah. There is a fair amount of cool stuff already going on. Yeah, I really like some of the dramatic elements too, like the looking at the PTSD, and they obviously have some commentary in there about um, mm-hmm. various things like that and the. In, independent contractors that are going over to do military work and different stuff like that that keeps kind of getting brought up. I like the fact that they're exploring some of that stuff. If you're going to have a character like the Punisher, you might want to look into those things as side elements. I didn't think that that stuff was bad. I I do question a little bit. Uh, has, has Russo been introduced in both of you? Are you guys past that point? Yes. I can't remember. I'm uh, he's 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 the guy who runs the independent contractor thing. Yeah, okay. The dreamy looking guy with the beard. Yeah, the good looking yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, that's not how I was going to describe him, but sure, whatever you guys think. Well, well it, as as a character, that's important. Like his his entire persona has to do with the fact that he's a good looking guy. Okay. Yeah. Well, from the comic books, that is a major fucking change. Like they change that character as much as you can change a character. The fact that he's friends with Castle is weird, and the fact that he's like in the military is weird. Yeah. So is it more of an Easter egg reusing the name than it is an actual interpretation of the character? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Don't go too far because someone spoiled me for me what happens. Uh, yeah, here. yeah. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna spoil. I was kind of pissed because I had no idea. All right. Yeah. So yeah, I've, I've been careful not to get spoiled. So. Yeah, it's 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 spoilery if I give you too much details, but but they he's just he's way different than what he is in the comic books. Mm-hmm. All right, hopefully next week we can discuss it further. Yeah. 
Uh, so I watched that, and I, I'm trying to think if that's that's it. That pretty much ate up most of my week. Cool. What do you got, Doug? Uh, well, first first thing I watched was a uh, movie called Drifter that I found on Netflix. Uh, which I'll read you the description. It says a pair of outlaw brothers seek temporary refuge in a desolate town inhabited by a small family of psychotic cannibalistic lunatics. Sounds right. awesome, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's not. It sucks. <laughs> uh, it was just one of these movies that was like trying to be cool and trying to be stylistic. And it's just like, you have to be talented to pull that off. So I wouldn't, yeah, quick PSA, I would not watch that movie. And don't get tricked by the description like I did. Um, there is a really cool, like, they do the the classic horror dinner scene where there's, like, a human head being served on a platter. And visually, it looked, that, that looked really cool. But that's you don't want to watch an hour and a half movie for a 30-second visual. So, I don't know. I, that's just my little PSA of the week. <laughs> I did watch some good stuff as well, though. Um, I finally got around to seeing Raw, which is... If you guys have heard of this one, it's a... Uh, I think it's I know it's like a cannibal movie, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, it's the one that, like, it, when it premiered at, like, TIFF, and then when it had its, like, little small theatrical run, like, there was all these stories of people, like, vomiting in the theaters and running out and stuff, so I'm like, yeah, I gotta see that one. And uh, it's really weird because it's not actually like a horror film. It's kind of a coming-of-age drama about this girl who goes away to vet school, and she's part of like a family of vets, and her older sister is already at the veterinarian school. And it's weird. Like She kind of gets there, and it's the, the first, I would say, half an hour of the movie you start to see like things aren't don't seem normal, but things don't seem that weird either. It's just like this kid going off to college. Um, and then there's this moment where her sister accidentally has her finger cut off and this girl decides to eat the finger. And that creates a lot of tension between the two sisters for the remainder of the movie, believe it or not. <laughs> I can't imagine why. <laughs> so it ends up being this weird tale of this girl who, goes off to college and it, it's really about her going away to school and finding her own independence and kind of becoming a cannibal. <laughs> and it's strange. It's kind of like I, I read somewhere somebody compared it to Ginger Snaps. I'm like, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, you know, this is part of her process of growing up and accepting it. It's more of like the metaphor of like trying to understand how to deal with these problems that she's coming up with, such as the grave for human flesh. Um, the cannibal like so I don't know if that's going to appeal to everybody especially the listeners of this podcast who might be hoping for something a little bit more exploitive uh, there is a lot of like real drama scenes in here and just these sisters bonding away at college like she's, she's it, it, it's very much like this young girl is having these problems adjusting to college life because of her cannibalism and she's turning to her older sister for help and sometimes the older sister is helpful and other times the older sister you know gets her drunk and lets her act like a cannibal in front of people and videotapes it so that it ends up on social media 
<laughs> I mean, it's weird to say, but it was, it was, I found the movie to be surprisingly effective. I found the drama worked pretty well. The gore was absolutely fantastic. And uh, there's something that this film did that I think people don't talk about enough, which is the use of nudity in film. So bear with me because it's not going to be one of these like, oh my god, you should have seen all the boobs talks. But a long time ago I read this article online. I wish I could quote the author because they deserve credit, but they just, they were discussing like the use of nudity in films. And like, you know, you get your 80s style nudity, which is just kind of fun and playful and sexual, right? But then you have like this other kind of nudity that they use, which is that nudity makes a character very vulnerable. And it makes them seem almost like they're more in danger because they're less protected if that nudity is being used in that way. And I found this film was very effective. Early in the movie, there's it's a party movie. They're going to they're going to these different events and there's girls dancing with their tops off and stuff and everybody's having a good time with it. Later in the movie I I, I made a mental note of the fact that there's like a couple of different sex scenes that don't have any nudity in them. I thought that's kind of odd considering how much there was in the first half of the movie so I started paying attention and I realized they're using it very much like there's a scene when she first there, there's a whole process of her becoming a cannibal involves her eating some meat for the first time and stuff but she has like a reaction and she wakes up in the morning and she's covered in this like rash and we kind of get these scenes of her like pulling her shirt up and see it and we start to start to realize like the nudity in those scenes is like when these people are in these like terrible horrible situations they're kind of using it to show the vulnerability of the character and I thought it was cleverly done I assume it was intentional and I'm not just adding this myself but I, I don't know I thought it was it was used right and not not used just as a way to show off like these young girls right because it, it, I will say in the first part of the movie, it really stood out to me how casual just the nudity was in these like party scenes and stuff. And I was thinking maybe that's a cultural difference between like European movies and North American ones. But in retrospect, I think it was actually really clever filmmaking. So I thought it deserved to be pointed out. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if I'm intelligent enough to point it out properly to people or not, but <laughs> I thought it was, I thought it was well done. And overall, I think the movie is definitely something that would appeal to maybe a more intellectual horror fan who likes their gore, but also would enjoy sitting through a nice drama film. Hmm. Nice. So, hopefully that made sense. Yeah, it's been on my list to watch, but I think it's... I had a feeling that it's one of those that I'm going to like... I'm going to have to be in a certain mood to watch it. It's not something I'm just going to throw on to... to yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's because it's not really like a fun movie. It is, like I say, it is a slow burn, dramatic film. You do have to sort of be paying attention to the characters, mm. which can be difficult in a foreign film too, because you're, you know, you you, lo- you lose something when you're reading what they say instead of you, you lose some inflection in their voice and things like that. And there's always like cultural issues too. Like mm-hmm. at the beginning of the movie we find out this whole family is like vegetarian. Well, I don't know what that means in Belgium. Like being a vegetarian is really common. If it's really rare, I don't know if like, it's like around here, it's kind of like a hip thing to do. And a lot of, like I know a lot of girls that are vegetarians for a little while during their teenage years. And then they just move on from it. I don't know if that's common in other parts of the world or not. Mm -hmm. So 
I didn't know how important it was. It turns out it's really important for the purposes of this movie. Um, you know, but I, I didn't even know which girl was going to be the cannibal at that, by that point of the movie. So it's, yeah, nice. certainly if, if you're a gore hound, do yourself a favor and track down like some of the more disturbing flesh eating scenes. Cause it's, yeah, this girl like sitting, leaning against the fridge, just chewing on her sister's finger. It's, it's a great visual. <laughs> Uh, and, then, and then they do they do blame it on the dog which is also funny because <laughs> that's something I would have done when I was a teenager is like uh, we're in trouble the dog did it <laughs> nice uh, so what else did I watch I got some more normal stuff coming up don't worry <laughs> <laughs> no it's fine uh, I, I got around to don't breathe oh I, yeah, yeah I've been meaning to see that one for a while um, it's the one where the kids break into the blind guy's house. Yeah. And he turns out to be a total badass, and now they're trapped in there with him. Turns out there is a Thanksgiving tie-in, so yeah. Is there? Well, there's a turkey baster in this movie. Okay. I, I was I was getting ready to say I love gross-out horror stuff. That the the turkey baster in the mouth thing is like <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I thought this, this movie had a lot of scenes that really worked quite well. Um, any the complaint I would have about it would be that they were a little scared to stick to their concept, which was everybody's trapped in this house for the whole movie. That's obviously mm-hmm. what they were going for. They found a couple of excuses to get back outside, and I thought that's I don't know. I I would have for me, and I, maybe I'm not a, a popular audience guy. Like I'm not mainstream enough but mm-hmm. I would have loved it if the whole movie took place in this house and it was very dark the whole time and, um, yeah. I thought the movie was kind of comparable to 10 Cloverfield Lane I thought you know, you're trapped in this small place and you've got it's like one guy up against these other people and you're not ever really sure who you should be thinking of as the good guy because these are kids that broke into this guy's house and at the beginning he seems very vulnerable being blind and older it's becomes pretty clear early on that he's not but you don't know you don't know what's when it until you get the big twist which I guess I probably shouldn't say or mm-hmm. but there is a big twist that comes and you start to realize okay he's done some, some terrible shit too but before that you really kind of think well everything else he's done like what he's done to these kids has all been stuff he's done to people who broke into a blind man's house and he's kind of defending himself. Yeah. You know, debatable. I mean, early on he, when he, I don't think this is a spoiler, like he ends up killing one of the people that break into the house early on. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not a self-defense move, but it is still people that broke into his house. It was, I think he, yeah. their, their gun that he uses on them. You know, you don't, in, a, in the context of a movie that's close enough to he can still be the good guy. Yeah. And so yeah, it could still be argued that it was self-defense because they did have a gun and again, they did break into his house. So he pretty much is justified in defending himself yeah. that way, especially since he's blind. Yeah. Like, like the way it's portrayed in the movie, it's clearly not self-defense. However, he'd probably get away with it because he'd yeah. be able to spin that story easily enough. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. I liked it. Um, I thought the ending was 
pretty dumb. Um, basically, the, the sort of the tag ending, but it's I don't know, it's, it's way too spoilery to, to get into and not important enough because it's. I mean, it, it is just a tag on ending. It's not necessary. Yeah. Well, apparently they're talking sequel, so. Yeah, I don't. I don't know, know if how that would about. work. Yeah, I agree. I can't conceive of a sequel to this, but I'm not a Hollywood producer. I uh, I think of sequels based on whether they make sense, not that whether they'll make money. So I don't know how that works. Well, usually like, they don't either. So yeah, I mean, like, okay, so spoiler warning for people who haven't seen this one, but at the end, the one character has gotten away, and we're supposed to now. She's supposed to be our hero by the end. I don't know how well that worked for me that we're supposed to be sympathetic towards this character, but we're supposed yeah, to be. They try. Yeah. And we find out, like, okay, the old guy from the house, he's still alive and he's... So what would our sequel be? Him chasing her across country or something? Uh, I think that is what they were sort of talking about, but I don't know if... Yeah, again, I don't really think it needs a sequel, but yeah, and I just don't know if that concept would work for a sequel, but yeah, you know, whatever. They've made dumber sequels than that before. So yeah, that's true. Uh, anything else? Yeah, I also saw Life, the oh, okay. horror action sci-fi one with mm-hmm. Jill and Hall and everybody else in it. It had quite a good, <laughs> had quite a good cast. Um, have you guys seen this one? I have not. Yeah, I saw it in the theater. Yeah, I mean, it's very much like an alien movie. Um, basic plot is that they bring uh, they're they're living on astronauts living on the space station. Some samples get delivered to them from Mars by a probe, and they want they find life in there. They start experimenting with it. Uh, that's what the title of the movie means. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and this is going to surprise you, but it, things start to go awry, and that not everything goes as planned. So now there's an alien running around. Um, I I got to say I enjoy the movie quite a bit, as much as it is more of an actiony movie than a like a dark horror. It was fun to watch this alien attack and kill people. I thought some of the some of the little moments that they came up with were clever. There's one where the alien is on the outside of the ship and it's trying to get back in through their like thruster cable things. So they have to like, they keep trying to blow it back out, but they realize they're running low on fuel and they've fallen too low into Earth's orbit. So if they use up any more of their fuel, then they risk re-entering Earth's atmosphere and bringing the alien with them. So they're like in the moment trying to decide like, well, would it survive the re-entry? Because if it kills it, then who cares? But on the other hand, it's like they're trying to... If we bring it back to Earth, we're screwing ourselves, so they end up having to make the decision to let the thing come back into the ship with them. I thought that, you know, I thought stuff like that was like, that's pretty clever. I've never seen something like that in a movie before, and not very often you get kind of new moments in these types of movies that didn't just hit every... uh, hit every sort of, you know, plot point that you would expect. Hmm. Um, entirely unpredictable, but not entirely predictable either, which was nice. Uh, 
I pretty much liked everything about it except for the ending. Not not the actual ending ending, you know, where the where the film ends, but the lead up to the reveal of the ending is stupid. It's like drawn out and over dramatized and you know exactly what's gonna happen. Like there's no possible way it's ending the other way. No, I agree with you. Yeah, it's <laughs> you pretty much know where it's where it's going. The and yeah, I don't I don't think I think it's we can keep it kind of non spoilery, but it's it's kind of weird that they draw it out as much as they do. It's almost like insulting to the audience. Like you don't know what's coming. You don't know what's coming. But it's yeah, yes, we yeah, do. yeah, yeah. It's like, it's fucking ridiculous. Like it, I, I was actually kind of mad whenever I left the theater just because of the ending. After I had enjoyed the rest of the movie. <laughs> so here's a fun thing. Have you guys ever read some of the controversy about this movie and the movie Gravity? No. So. Apparently, I'm basing this on like a cracked article, so let's assume that it's 100% true because it's a more fun <laughs> conversation if it is. But apparently there's like a guy who wrote, like, I don't know if it was a book or a script, and he like brought it to, studio, to the studio and wanted to like sell it to them. And they were like, yeah, that's good, but we have no idea how to market that. That's like two completely disconnected stories mixed into one. And then after he left, the studio was like, two disconnected stories mixed into one. So apparently his story, the first half is life. And the second half is gravity. <laughs> and so it's basically like the first half is this alien attacks the space station. The second half is the girl gets shot off and is trying to figure out how to get back to Earth to warn everybody. What? So they went ahead and made two, two different movies about that. Which I knew that going in, so the whole time it. I'm playing the game, going, which one of these girls is going to get shot off into space at the end? <laughs> <laughs> and that was my fun little extra game that I got to play while I watched it. <laughs> and I was wrong. I like I like the fact that in Hollywood there's this interesting thing where they're always talking about how there's no such thing as intellectual property. If you pitch an idea, anyone can steal it. You know what I mean? Yeah. On the other hand, they also are constantly doing things like Disney, making sure that they retain ownership of things that are over 100 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no such thing as your intellectual property. They have their intellectual property. That's different. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I had no idea they were connected like that. So, I don't know. Again, I read one article online. Don't quote me as being the fact uh, the fact guy on this, but I did kind of like at the end of it. I'm like, I can kind of see it. Like, if you just have this be the this be the reason that the sh- that the station exploded instead of the the other one they came up with for gravity. Like, sure, why not? I'm trying to remember what the other movie. There was a movie in the '80s that had something like that, where like three movies came out within a year of each other that all three had the same plot. And it turned out what had happened is this guy had written a script and pitched it to three different movie companies, and they all told him no, and then they all stole his idea. So three different companies stole his thing, and he didn't get paid for any of them. Poor bastard. Oh, fucking sucks. 
Well, yeah, I don't, I mean, I'm not an intellectual property expert, but it seems to me like if you go in and present your idea to somebody and they say no, then they shouldn't be allowed to use that idea. <laughs> like, you would think, but, but I, I mean, it's one of those, like, he could probably sue them, but he's got to find somebody who's going to take the work on and not charge them like a billion dollars. Yeah. Because, you know, the studio is going to throw lawyer after lawyer at him. So then it kind of becomes like, well, what's the point? Yeah. It's just fucked up. That's all. Mm -hmm. It's so weird how the legal system works, too, though, that you can win a case, but that doesn't mean you get anything. So by the time you pay your lawyers, you're done. Yeah. That actually actually reminds me, I also started watching uh, the History of Comics, Robert Kirkman's new show. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I don't have that written down, so I forget the title. But <laughs> the first, the first one, yeah, the first one I watched was the Superman one, where that they, they oh, really yeah. delve into how they uh, stole Superman. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what's funny about that one is, uh, I don't entirely disagree with the studio on that one. Like these guys signed a contract; the studio was kept them on if. According to this show, the studio kept them on, kept uh, paying them to write Superman comics. They wanted more. They sued their own bosses. That got them fired. Well, if I sued my boss, I'd probably get fired too. <laughs> and, you know, court after court agreed that they had signed a legal contract. I, I don't know. I, I hate to say it, but maybe it's, sometimes. It's, somebody, yeah, it's complicated. Um, hmm. but I think a lot of first time artists or relatively new artists have to give up the rights to their first thing in order to get it published Yeah, and I mean all indications well, from from this show which is my the extent of my research on it like I'd heard things but this show it indicates they knew when they signed that contract that they were giving up the rights they later kind of changed their minds and that's not what contracts are. You don't get to change your mind. <laughs> so maybe like they, they probably would have had good lives if they just continued to go to work for DC and kept writing Superman comics. They just would have had to suck up their pride a little bit and not the, the made as thing, much money as they wanted. The big thing that seems to be the problem is people who are first coming into, uh, uh, contracts like that, they don't understand the importance of residuals in the contract. Yeah. And so they end up getting, you know, there's a lot of things. The Goo Goo Dolls, their first album went triple platinum or something like that. And at the end of the day, they owed the studio $90,000. They had to pay the studio $90,000 for their album that went triple platinum. <laughs> well, see, that, that does sound like it's maybe a bit of a scam deal. I don't know exactly how that works, but well, it's it's got to do with they they got jack shit for residuals and um, what what a lot of happens with musicians and and a lot of other art professions, comic book writers and stuff, they front you a bunch of money, yeah, against what you're going to make back. Well, if they fuck you on the back end and you're not making enough back, you're never going to pay off that debt that they gave you initially. So a t- 
So if they don't, they, they tell you, you know, you're going to make millions when actually they gave you a loan for $100,000 and you're going to have to pay that loan back. Yeah. And so you, you get, that sounds like a scam, which is a different thing, right? So yeah. I don't know. Like, I mean, I, none of us were in the room. And none of us know exactly what happened. But according to this show, they knew that they knew the deal. They knew what they were signing. Yeah, it just, I feel like stuff back then was structured in a horrible way. Sure. And I feel like ultimately the outcome of it did help like writers and artists and stuff after that. Yeah. So it's probably still a good thing. I still think the way they handled it in the 70s was probably the best way. Where you just hold a press conference and you're like, I created Superman and I'm poor and I'm almost homeless. Yeah. Which makes Warner Brothers go, ooh, this is bad for our Superman movie that's coming out. So call him into the office. We'll we'll throw a bunch of money at him and tell him to shut up. Yeah. And that you're right. That is the smart move. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Again, I, what blows my mind, and it's just a different world we live in now, but I don't know how, first of all, I don't know how you sign a contract like that without getting legal advice. Mm-hmm. Well, imagine, imagine being a poor artist living in like a flat somewhere. And somebody is basically offering you a job when you're in the middle of desperation. You're going to sign that fucking contract. You're not going to look at it twice. And you probably don't have enough money to hire a lawyer to tell you what it says. Yeah, Amanda really found the episode fascinating. And I made sure to point out to her at the very beginning of the episode. I'm like, okay, I just want you to understand they signed this contract and so they essentially sold the rights to Superman for a hundred and thirty dollars, right? And that's nineteen thirty whatever money. But I'm like, just keep keep in mind how many billions of dollars Superman has generated, right. and they sold the rights for it for a hundred and thirty, which is mind boggling. It yeah, but that can be said for a lot of things, right? Yeah, sure. I mean. Whenever you hear about little indie movies that make tons of money at the box office, most of that money is not going to the guy that directed the movie. Most of that money is going to the studio that paid him a small amount to buy his finished product and dump it out on the market. Yeah. And that's just, unfortunately, how it works. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I wasn't trying to start a debate. But no, no, no. No, <laughs> I, you know, no and, and I'm not, like, yeah. again, I'm not saying I, I'm not an expert on any of this stuff, and I'm not saying I don't have sympathy guys but it sounds to me like if they had just stuck by their original deal their lives would have been a lot better mm. they could have avoided a lot of the problems that they had yeah maybe, yeah like if, if they continued to write for dc for 20 years or something they'd have made plenty of the implication is that they would have made plenty of money and then maybe they could have got some kind of a pension deal if they went out and helped promote when, when it was time for the movie to come out and stuff mm-hmm but then ultimately, on the other side of that, um, DC could decide they just want new writers on the book and artists and just yeah. fire fire them without really anything. Yeah, yeah it's plausible. And, and with those comic book companies, the creators who did stick around still didn't necessarily end up getting what they did. Look at what happened to fucking Jack Kirby and people like that. Yeah. Like, sure. Yeah. It's always a tough thing when people are working under another company and then there's intellectual property stuff involved because mm. it really is that question of like, 
you type something up at work, is that yours or is that theirs? It's really gray. I think it's it's. This is why we have lawyers is to figure out those contracts, right? Yeah. Yeah. Nowadays, it's it's a much less of a problem. There's still shady shit going on, I'm sure, but I mean, I you it's, can... it's anywhere Sorry, near the, the level of this Superman stuff. Yeah, but man, I think like you could formulate the argument that this isn't just a comic book problem. This is an industry problem. Oh, sure, sure. Every yeah. industry is you know, people at the top trying to figure out how to make all the money off the work being done by the people at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just kind of how life goes. So you kind of play, if you, if you want to make it up, you got to play the game to make your way to the top. It doesn't, that's why I'm not a rich person is because I'm not good at that. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, so here I am lecturing these guys, but no, I, I don't know shit about how to make it, make real life. I mean, it's not like I podcast for a living or something. It's <laughs> figured out how to get, I figured out how to like plug this headset in and talk to you guys. That's what I do with my time. It's, yeah, Brian's really making all the money, squeezing us for every dime. That's what's going on. Nice. I assume. Oh, I assume yeah. one day we're just gonna like go to log in, and Brian won't be here, and it's because he's like moved to his Cayman Islands resort where he's <laughs> stashing all the sweet, sweet podcast money. I'm gonna look like uh, Tom Atkins from Night of the Creeps, where he's sitting on the beach, sipping a drink, topless women bringing me drinks. <laughs> I, assume I assume you'll have a mustache. Yeah. Technically, I have one now, but I just got a full beard around it, too. Yeah, you have to shave all that. <laughs> but, to go from your, like, schlubby look to your, like, rich douchebag look, that'll be the big change. Uh, uh, anything else? Uh, no, that's it, pretty much. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to see what you think of the other episodes. I, oh, I, I, I did watch the Wonder Woman one as well. Yeah. I think you had mentioned that last week. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, it probably. Was, it was, yeah, very interesting. I, I do like the way the show is getting into the uh, the more interesting stories rather than just telling like a straightforward history. They're like, yeah, 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 they invented her here, this, this, this. Now let's get into the fun stuff that you want to know about. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's sure. a good way, so. Yeah, like Amanda's been watching it and she really enjoys it. I think it's because of that. It's not just, oh, we made Wonder Woman. She sold a bunch of issues. Everybody was happy. It was like, you know, here's all the shit going on behind the scenes that you probably had no idea about. Yeah. So. But I mean, it, it is, like I say, it's the more interesting stories that they're bringing yeah. to the surface. Or I hope they're the most interesting stories. Maybe there's even cooler <laughs> shit going on that I don't know about still. But. Uh, yeah, I think there's an episode coming up on Image Comics. Which I'm really anxious to get to. So it was an interesting time for comic books. How uh, Todd McFarlane saved comics and then ruined comics. <laughs> and then bought some baseballs. Uh, let's see. What did I watch? Um, I watched uh, the documentary Spielberg. As you would expect, it's all about Steven Spielberg. Oh, that's Spielberg. Okay. Yeah. I was like, which one's it about? But... <laughs> uh, I mean, it's it's pretty self-explanatory. It's just a documentary going over his career and his life and stuff. Um, 
I wouldn't say there's any earth-shattering revelations or anything, but if you're a fan of Spielberg, it's kind of fun to go back and just sort of chart along, like, um, uh, chart along, like, sort of his rise as a film director. And then it's one of those, it's one of those things where, yeah, I know Spielberg. I'm a fan of Spielberg. When they start rattling off all the movies, it's just like right in a row. It's just like, holy fuck. Like this guy just basically created the entire 1980s. Yeah. So it's just one of those things you, I don't know. If you're a fan, you just kind of forget about, even though you love all those movies, but you kind of don't realize that it's like, oh yeah, he went from this movie, which is one of the most amazing movies ever, to this movie, which is another most amazing movie ever, to this thing, which is another most amazing movie ever. And it's just like, holy fuck, like, I don't even, I don't even know how that works, because it obviously doesn't really work like that anymore. But, I don't know, it's just kind of amazing to go through the list and just hear him talk about why he wanted to make the movies and you know, the people that's worked with them and like all that stuff. And so it's interesting documentary, but you know, there's no, there's no like sordid details about anything. You're not going to learn anything. You probably don't already know about them, but it's just kind of interesting to hear it from himself, like going, going along his journey of filmmaking. And then you get to the modern area and you're like, Steven Spielberg, what the fuck? <laughs> Yeah. Well, he's moved on to making movies for a different audience. Yeah. I think that's, that's the big why. thing. Yeah. Yeah. He, cause he full on says he was like a 10 year old, like forever. Like just, I want to make all these movies about meeting aliens and fucking, uh, you know, an architect or an architect, an archeologist that fights Nazis and like all this other stuff. And then, Pretty much after Schindler's List, like a lot of that sort of died off. So, um, I watched a movie called Night Kill, which I was super excited about. It was one of my uh, blind buy uh, purchases, and it's got uh, Robert Mitchum in it, and what's her name, Jacqueline Smith, you know from the uh, from the Charlie's Angels. Um, and it's basically like a wife of this really like rich industrialist guy who pretty much hates her husband and then it turns out his the guy's co-worker also hates him and they portray him as one of like the worst people ever and of course he looks like he belongs from Texas like cowboy hat and I don't know just all around douchebag so Brian's opinion is that people from Texas are the worst people uh, ever not all of them record. not all of them some of them um, and so her, his coworker, and this is not a spoiler because it happens in the first like five minutes, uh, makes him a drink and poisons him right in front of his wife. And she's like, what the fuck are you doing? And he's like, come on, we wanted to get rid of him. Fuck this guy. So he says, okay, I'm going to take his body. I'm going to dump it down this mine shaft that's nearby. And then, uh, we'll figure something out because he's supposed to be leaving uh, on like a work trip or something like that afternoon. So nobody's really going to notice he's gone for a little while. Um, well then 
the guy goes to, you know, she goes off to do her stuff and then he's going to take the body, but then we never really see him again and we can't figure out where he's at. And just all this stuff starts happening that makes her think that he may still be, her husband may still be alive and is trying to drive her crazy. Uh, It plays very much movie of the week, which is not how it was intended. So that's kind of a bummer. Uh, Robert Mitchum shows up as a detective who's sort of working on the case, trying to figure out where her husband's at. And, um, you know, he's Robert Mitchum, so he's usually pretty good. Uh, But overall, just the movie kind of gets boring after a while. Because it literally is just like, oh, this weird thing just happened. I wonder if it's my dead husband. You know how it goes. Sounds um, you know that old tale from the sea. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Not really a recommend. Uh, the cover of it looked really cool, which is why I was really interested in it, and it doesn't really live up to uh, to that uh, cover art. So, um, And then uh, the last thing I watched uh, sort of by accident was uh, The Great Outdoors. Uh, because it was just, we had the TV on as we were both just looking at our phones and the great outdoors started and suddenly I noticed I put my phone away and was actually watching it because I really haven't watched it like in forever and I was thoroughly enjoying myself. It made me really miss John Candy. No. That's That's a pretty good one if I remember it correctly. It's been a long time. Yeah. Is that the one where they're staying in the, the lodge? Yeah. Yeah, they like rent a cabin, and then uh, it's supposed to be a family trip, and then all of a sudden Dan Aykroyd, who is his brother-in-law, and Dan Aykroyd and his family show up, and Dan Aykroyd's like a... Uh, he's, he's a Wall Street guy. Yeah. He's all about money and all this stuff. And he's got a, his wife is played by Annette Benning. And then they have two creepy redheaded twin girls. And so they show up and it kind of just throws a wrench in like John Candy's plans for their vacation. Do I remember that there's part of the movie where somehow they turn a, uh, a lamp into a gun? Well, they don't turn it. It's already turned, but it turns out the gun still works. <laughs> so this old man, like he's like, what are you going to do with that? But the funny thing is, and this makes no sense. <clears throat> Because uh, there's a there's a story about a bear, and so this bear shows up at this cabin. Yeah, the ball. So the, so the old guy, he's like, "Yeah, I got this lamp," and he's like, "Well, that's a lamp." He's like, "Yeah, but it's loaded." But then you see him reach over and plug the lamp into the wall, and then fire it. <laughs> it's just so weird. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's unnecessary. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, the eighties. Yeah. But yeah, it's a, it was a lot of fun. I just was laughing. Amanda thought it was funny because she was sort of in and out of the living room. And she's like, man, you're really just like sucked into this, aren't you? And I'm like, I am because I haven't seen this in forever. So I'm just really enjoying like this this weird, it's not even weird, but just this back and forth between John Candy and Dan Aykroyd. It's a lot of fun. So if you have a bunch of John Candy movies. I know, right? Yeah. So it's if you haven't watched Great Outdoors in a while. It's definitely worth a watch. I still tell people that their hot dogs are made out of lips and assholes. But... Exactly. 
<laughs> and if they don't if they don't get the joke and they ask me why I'm saying that, I tell them a raccoon told me and I refuse to answer any more questions. <laughs> Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Uh, all right. Uh, Doug, so what are we doing uh, for our next episode? Uh, we are going to be reviewing the movies that we agreed to earlier, which were <laughs> uh, Hardware and Tromeo and Juliet. Yes. Is that, is that right? Yes. I got to start paying more attention when you guys talk. <laughs> uh, so I forget what the connection is between the movies already. They Noah. both feature Lemmy, and Lemmy is God. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, so we'll be talking about traumas, Tromeo and Juliet, and then uh, Hardware, which I've never seen either one of them. So. Yeah, me neither. Both are on my I, watch list at one point. I think you will both enjoy Hardware. <laughs> <laughs> and, I will, and I will enjoy both. We're getting back to our classic format where two of us yell at the third one for picking a <laughs> shitty movie. Romeo <laughs> uh, and Juliet was directed by a uh, young James Gunn. Yeah. Did he actually direct it? I thought he just wrote it. Maybe he just wrote it, but I was thinking he wrote it and directed it. I, yeah, I know I he said he was on set the entire time, so that's where he learned a lot of stuff. But I don't think he should be telling people that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's not yeah. great marketing for his new movies yeah Lloyd Kaufman wrote or directed uh, Charming yeah. and Juliet but um, yeah it's funny because if you watch uh, Slither you watch all the behind the scenes stuff he talks a lot about working with trauma and stuff and there's there's because uh, <laughs> Lloyd Kaufman has a cameo in the movie and so Lloyd of course takes this opportunity to bring a video camera with him and do his own uh, video diaries from the set, which is hilarious. And so, yeah, lots of, uh, you know, James Gunn introducing Lloyd Kaufman to, like, Nathan Fillion and stuff. But, yeah, this is Lloyd. He gave me my start. So it's just funny to think about. Yeah, I'm interested in checking Oh, Uncle Lloyd. (laughs) I'm interested in checking it out, but uh, I'm not the biggest trauma fan, so... We'll see. I I respect trauma. I respect all the stuff that Lloyd Kaufman's done, but like those style of movies usually just do not do anything for me. I think for me, Tromeo and Juliet was one that I always wanted to get to when I was like 18 and first discovered trauma movies and saw Mm -hmm. Toxic Avenger for the first time. Mm -hmm. And then before I ever got around to it, I sort of, I don't want to say I outgrew it because I'm certainly not more mature now than I was then, but <laughs> maybe I just realized these movies are a lot the same and I've, I've seen it enough. So I haven't, I haven't necessarily been a big fan of the trauma films I've seen since. So mm-hmm. we'll see how this one goes. I would, I would Romeo and Juliet falls firmly in the period that I would call good trauma. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which That's is which is a subjective term, but but it's not like uh, class of Nukem High Part Two trauma. It's class of Nukem High trauma. <laughs> See, and that, I guess that is what I'm hoping for. Is like I go into it knowing that it's you know from the makers of a to- of Toxic Avenger. Here's this new one. That's 
I know what I'm getting. And that might be good enough. Might not be. We'll find out. Yeah. We'll see. We'll save that discussion for next week. <laughs> Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.